about a fun night in queens way back when this is not jay it's actually schmitty doing my podcast called talking schmidt today on the show is my good homie for a long time now the one and only emmanuel guzman eman lives in the cruise and skates for the cruise and shit man ever since i've known him he's cruised <laughs> see what i, did I there? think that that's schmitting <laughs> We jokingly have beef about him loving the Oakland A's, but deep down there's nothing but love for E-Man. I may say this every episode, but this one, folks, is a really good one. We were talking about doing a new segment here on the podcast, Things I've Learned About My Dog, Honeybee. 
Things I've learned about my dog, Honeybee. Well, this week, I realized that if you put green beans in her food, she will eat it. Is that, is that real? Hey, kids, look at what we got this week. From the fine, from the wonderful, from the great, from the legendary San Francisco zone, Derby of San Francisco, the Navy Blue Derby, kids, with that patented, copywritten, trademarked liner that only Derby can put out. Got that nice little inner pocket for your glasses or your stash or whatever. Anyway, this week, we are giving away a free jacket from Derby. <laughs> and the way we are going to do it is like this. Hit the social media, get on your Instagram, and first and foremost, follow Talking Schmidt and Derby of San Francisco. What you want to do is you want to make a post on your Instagram. Make sure you're following Talking Schmidt and Derby and tag it. Hashtag Talking Derby Schmidt. That's T-A-L-K-I-N-D-E-R-B-Y. S-C-H-M-I-T. We're going to hype it up for a while, but we'll have a winner next week on this very same podcast. That's hashtag talking Derby Schmidt on your Instagram post. Make them funny, make them beautiful, make them gross, make them whatever. Represent SF, whatever you think is going to put you into the winner circle. Good luck. And remember, we love to give free stuff here on the program. So provoke the stoke and spread the word. Next up, you know what time it is. We don't have Benny. Benny. But we got the jet. Head on down to your local shop. Ask Nerdwizard Skateboards. Or visit Nerdwizard.com. Does anybody have a good cure for eczema? Are you excited about succession returning? Did you know that the Warriors are back tonight? Do you have a favorite sticker on my wall? Your sticker is still on my wall. Hey, check it out, kids. I just got the new copy of Skate Trivia, the game. Hmm, maybe we'll play a round or two in the future. Email talkingschmidt at gmail.com your three favorite things to do in the rain. Hey, next week on the show, The Illusion, kids. Hey, hit Tim McKenney's YouTube channel, leave him a comment, and say we need you for the Potty Awards this year. Big congrats to Shane O'Neill for winning Tampa Pro this year. Woo! How about that Jamie Foy best trick, though, huh? Wow. Revving it up for another episode. This week, we got the one and only, my homie, the beach vato, Emmanuel Guzman. Yeah. Uh, There he is. Fired off or what? Yeah. All right. What up? This is uh, Emmanuel Guzman, a.k.a. E-Man, and uh, we're on Talking Schmidt with the OG homie, and uh, yeah, crack one of these puppies right there to set it off. It's cool, like tonight is the night. Here we go again. Just give it the old cars turn. All big dogs in. 
96 times, Schmitty. Thanks, Schmitty. We on? Schmitty? Talking Schmidt. That's called going to the hospital, bitch. I can <laughs> shit my pants. Your Rolodex is fucking deep. It's about the one. The one. The one. Who is this guy? Who's this tough shit? What's up? We're tastemakers. Come on, Schmitty. What the fuck? Let's hear it for Greg Smith. Yeah! All right. It's uh, 10, 19 a.m., Via satellite, we're going straight SFC to the Santa Cruz right over the Highway 17. Bob Reynolds one time took his fucking van, drove right over the divider. I don't know how he's still alive, but uh, that's a gnarly highway. I don't know why I'm not down there in person because this is one of my big homies for many years. Kids, get ready because we are about to talk with the one and only Emmanuel fucking Guzman. What's up, E-Man? What's up, brother? It's good to see your face, man. It's been a while. Yeah. Okay. So I'm thinking back in history. We've done a lot of hours together. And one time we're in a van. I forget where. It was probably on Skate Rock. P-Stone's filming us. And we're having a hip-hop freestyle battle. (laughs) And and, uh, there was a lot of those... um, energy alcohol drinks i forget what they're called like sparks or something oh yeah i think we're on our way to new york it was philly to new york and uh so this morning i conjured up a little one Uh, i don't know if we're gonna use this but check this out okay ready yeah all right check one check two check motherfucking three another episode explodes making podcast history i can't quit so throw a fit every episode's legit just like the fucking giants i make hits the name's talking Schmidt. Today we got more than a pro. He's a bro catching up with E-Man, the beach Vato. Been in the cruise since day one, so don't ever be coy. Emmanuel Guzman, Santa Cruz rude boy. Uh, <laughs> let's go. Let's go. What do you think? I think your future is bright. All right, here we go. Dirt nasty coming after you. <laughs> We got to go back How far you going back way back because there's a bunch of stuff. I don't really know the details. And um, I do know that I think, well, I think I know first like flow was like actually Dogtown, right? It was. I almost almost went down to the truck. I just dug up this old uh, this old board of mine. And honestly, I can see my truck from here. It might take me a minute to run down there and get it. And I thought about bringing it just to show you because it's a uh, it's the first board you ever had. It's not the first board I ever had, but it's when Dressen still rode for Dogtown. Uh. And I was getting flow directly from Red Dog uh, through Bill's wheels. And so I was getting a couple of boards a month. And I remember this Dressen model came out. And I remember riding that thing pretty religiously. But I also remember doing grip tapes for as long, as far back as I can, I can you know, think back to my own skating and, and um, just how grip tape jobs have always been a big part of like my setup. So there's this one board, it's a Dressen. And on the top, there's this grip job and it's basically just the middle finger, big old fuck you with like an ES on the side. Cause I was pretty hardcore East side. And, you know, now living here on the West side, it's funny. I had to dig that thing back out of the, out of the storage just to bring it back to the roots. Cause like, um, yeah, those were, those were very formative years. That was like, for me as a kid, you know, one of my favorite companies, one of my favorite skaters, just the dream come true ultimately. Um, and I've never really let it down. I've always just been super proud of that fact that like, even pre Santa Cruz, that Dogtown was my first OG sponsor. You know, I was a big suicidal fan. And same. I was in my room and I was just like staring at the wall, thinking about everything. Then again, I was thinking about nothing. 
And then my mom came in, and I didn't even know she was there. She called my name, and I didn't hear her. Then she started screaming, Mike, Mike. And I go, what? What's the matter? She goes, what's the matter with you? I go, there's nothing wrong, Mom. She goes, don't tell me that. You're on drugs. I go, no, Mom, I'm not on drugs. I'm okay. I'm just thinking, you know. Why don't you give me a Pepsi? She goes, no, you're on drugs. I go, Mom, I'm okay. I'm just thinking. She goes, no, you're not thinking. You're on drugs. None of people don't act that way. I go, Mom, just give me a Pepsi, please. All I want is a Pepsi. And she wouldn't give it to me. All I wanted was a Pepsi. Just one Pepsi. And she wouldn't give it to me. Just a Pepsi. Can you watch your with us, please? It's always it's always carried a lot of weight, like as far as the pride of how I was introduced to to what it meant to want to ride for a brand and like be sponsored in the first place and, and all that. So and then full circle, you got Eric D on Santa Cruz. That's gotta be fucking like, are you kidding me? Like, and so yeah, looking back at it, I mean, shit, it's been it's been well over 20 years since uh I got that board. And and um and so yeah, to now be on a team with him again 20 years later, like for all these years is just and and he's just you know lived up to his legendary status in so many ways, just like as a as a skateboarder, as a as a human, as a, the stories he shares and tells, and just like his history in general, you know what I mean? When I first when I first met that dude, he had he had kind of just uh, cleaned up his act and become sober mm-hmm. and we were filming some skit in a bar and i remember him being kind of a little weary to be just even surrounded by that atmosphere like to be around people drinking and um and so i remember for the skit him taking shots of milk like fuck i mean i'll, I'll hang out in here and i'll pretend like i'm drinking something do you have do you have milk or anything and Yes. I remember the bartender kind of scrambling, like, shit, I don't know if we got milk in my like white Russians white got Russians, milk. Dude, exactly. Yeah. They're like, we might have some sort of heavy cream or something. So they found some milk for him. And I remember him taking shots of milk during the scene. And like, you know, that was huh. pretty much my first real life kind of introduction to him. Um, and he hadn't lost all the weight that he's lost up to date and all that stuff. He looked a lot different, but mm-hmm. no, it's been, it's been insane just getting to like, build a friendship and get to know the guy after writing his boards as a little teeny kid. He's an example of do meet your heroes. Yes, exactly. Yeah. I, I, I can't say enough good things about Eric. He's the best. Like we went to uh, the goat bowl one time and he just wanted to jump in my, he didn't have to, there was two cars. He went there with the van, but on the way back, he's like, you're driving by yourself. I'll, I'll jump in with you. Keep you company. And we just hit it off and like talked like we didn't know each other that well, but we knew each other like he knew about me and I definitely knew about him. So we just started spitting and it was like a really cool. I'll never forget that we ended up going out to dinner with Steve Olson that night. It was just like epic. Like we had like all the divisions of Santa Cruz, like the legends all the way to the current. And uh, yeah, it was a good one for sure. How long do you think I can make it to my truck and back? Do it. In, in this instance, just to bring that board up, just to show you that board, since I'm talking about it right now. Yeah, yeah, go ahead. I can edit. I can cut it. It's not a lot. You know, what I mean, it's I'll like seriously, I can edit. Time me. I'll be. I'll be like one minute on the dot. Okay, here we go. We're going timer. Let's see. I'll tell you when to start. I'll try to make it down there in a minute and back. Okay. This will lead into another segment to the P Stone Challenge. All right, Mark, get set, go. Boom. 
Seconds and two three forty point two three. All right, nice work. Here we are. Oh shit! Okay. So this one right here, and I guess I still I, I was still repping Santa Cruz. I put Santa Cruz stickers on it, but what's it say? How rad is that? Is that the rose one or are those stickers? This is these are stickers right here. This is a Dogtown board. This is actually this is a this is a sticker. Okay. Um, and then let's see. It's 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 got Dogtown still on the, the cross right there, but so was that a board that they flowed you? This was one of the boards they flowed me, and then this was the graphic on the top I was telling you about. Oh sick, yep. Oh fuck you, you said. Did you do that? Yeah, yeah. I was probably I don't know, maybe like 14. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if a lot of people know, but you're a pretty artistic guy too, along with skateboarding, like you draw and do a bunch of cool art stuff too, right? That's definitely always been in part of the draw to skateboarding in general to the, to the culture, to that, like the graphics, you know what I mean? Yeah. Board graphics, just logos, all that stuff. Like I always was real drawn to that stuff. Um, have you ever got to do a board graphic? I have, I've done, uh, I've done, a uh, the first board I think I did was like a bills wheels shop board. Uh-huh. And I kind of, I kind of like bit um, the anti-hero logo because Bill's a big duck hunter. And so I took something that looked real similar to like the, the anti-hero eagle. Yeah. But made it into a mallard duck and then, <laughs> nice. and then had Bill's wheels and just like, I, I tried not to bite it super hard, try to make it more like custom to Bill's interests and to the shop itself. But um, yeah, I've always loved anti-hero and thought that logo, that graphic was always so sick. And so, yeah. When I thought of man, what can I what can I conceptualize for this first board that's like meaningful to me, but also is iconic in skateboarding and something that people might kind of recognize as like a little one off or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I uh, I did what I think is still potentially like the first ever sort of independent trucks skateboard collab for Santa Cruz uh, years ago. Mm. It was a real small run when I came out with like a, a line of, of indie clothing when they were doing the apparel. Yep. And I used one of my kind of graphics that I had drawn up for the apparel, which was sort of more like, more like Mayan influenced. And then, and then it was sort of done within the, the, the confides of like an iron cross. Okay. And so it was an indie graphic, but then Santa Cruz did a small run of boards with that graphic. Huh. And so as far as I know, it was the first ever crossover indie skateboard collab. Um, I, m- I miss the Iron Cross. It was a small one, dude. It was a small run. Was, I think they, they they maybe did like 250 of them or something. Oh, shit. Um, and, then, uh, and then the most recent was like a small uh, artist series I did for Santa Cruz. I did this little 
Um, three piece for Santa Cruz, uh, did a graphic for Tom Asta, Winkowski and myself. Mm. And those were, those were more based off of my grip tape. Those were like, kind of, I took the actual cutouts of my grip tape and messed with some different color schemes of that. And then it translated really well onto like a graphic format. Uh-huh. So we ended up using uh, a few of my, my grip tape pieces, um, as actual board graphics for Santa Cruz run for a little series. Do you do custom grip on every board? Pretty much. Yeah. I yeah. can't think of a board. I can't think of a board that I haven't done a grip tape job on for the last like 20 years. So like you're, you're not a guy that like just puts a board together real quick. Like you, you spend pretty much some time putting it. The it's grip methodical, tape dude. It's kind of uh. a, it's kind of like a spiritual experience every time. You know what I mean? There's a lot uh. of, a lot of thought and a lot of intent that like that goes into each grip job. There's a lot of like thought and what I want to be looking at. That's going to bring me inspiration in that moment. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, shit that's, that's either like something that's easy on the eyes to look at that just brings this, this real balanced sort of draw to the eye when you're looking at a board, if the tail's a little smaller than you'd like, and the nose is a little bigger, you can kind of manipulate your eye by, by placing grip tape jobs on places of the board so that the nose looks smaller, the tail looks bigger. So that when you look down at it, it just, you know, subconsciously like, like clicks a little bit more. Um, Mm. And then sometimes it's just shit. It's just like for pure inspiration, you know, like when I've lost homies or when there's been something going on in my life, just like a little reminder to look down at your, at your board and just remember what it's all about and remember in the moment, not to get too wrapped up in the other stuff like happening in life or in skateboarding and just sort of like focus on the fun or the, the do it for the love or do it like for your homie that can't do it type thing, you know? So yeah. There's always some sort of intent behind every grip job I do and something that I'm looking to, to gain from it when I look down and see that on my board. Somebody. And were you born in Santa Cruz? I was, yeah. I'm a first generation of my, all my siblings, well, my family, I guess, that were born here. Um, my mom's from New York. My dad's from Mexico. And then my three siblings were all born in Mexico. Uh, and then I was, I was the last, I'm the youngest of four. And my family had moved up here to Santa Cruz to kind of better their lives. And um, my parents were having relationship issues. And then shortly after moving here, I was born. So, hmm. And true or false, your mom was a famous actress. True. <laughs> really? Yeah. Um, Tell me I about this. As, as time moves on, like generationally, not as many people are, are familiar with the, the works that she did. But uh, yeah, when she was living in Mexico for about 25 years, um, she got into show business with this famous comedian called Cantinflas. And, and Cantinflas has a pretty big cult following down there um, as, as he was one of the more like progressive comic, you know, kind of geniuses of his time to come out of Mexico. Uh. and um and so all the older generations are real familiar with with a lot of his movies he put out i mean dozens if not hundreds of movies the guy was just constantly producing but um recently recently another another like mainstream uh you know production company made made like a documentary film kind of about his life uh, uh, uh i think it's called cantinflas but it kind of puts into perspective a little bit more about his history in, in comedy and in his role, just in like the progression of, of, you know, Mexican filmmaking and comedy. Uh-huh. And, my, and my mom had, a, she had a pretty major role in one of his movies called Por Mis Pistolas. And then 
she had a couple of, of other smaller roles in some of his other films, but, but that one role where she was like the main villainessa was like the main, um, recognize one by by most people when i explain her character in that film a lot of people can remember it and they're like what that's your mom no way that's crazy damn did you did you grow up with spanish as your primary language or english no i so i kind of got i kind of got screwed in that whole that whole like dynamic of being um you know part of a migrant family first born here in the states when uh when my family moved here all my siblings first language was spanish but mm. my dad didn't speak any English. My siblings didn't speak any English. So we were sort of forbidden to speak Spanish in the household until everybody had learned to speak English. And uh, that went from my siblings needing to integrate in school to my dad needing to find work. Um, mm. And so right around the time I was born, there was very little Spanish like spoken in the house, except for when my parents argued or the mm. kind of the slang that I would hear around the neighborhood. It was a predominantly like, like Latino and, and, you know, and, and Mexican neighborhood. So there was all sorts of slang Spanish being slung around the hood, but like, I wasn't allowed to speak that shit in the house. I'd come home trying to emulate what I heard out on the streets. My parents would smack that taste out of my mouth. Not having it. I'm not bringing that trash in our house, you know? So, um, I kind of got screwed, but eventually it became like a, um, I don't know what you call it, like, like a self-conscious issue. I got real insecure about the fact that I was proud of my, my Mexican heritage, but then didn't speak Spanish as a first language and spoke very little, if any, it was all broken Spanish, you know? So um, as I got older, it became more of a drive to really like embrace this, this language that was part of my, my heritage and my culture. And um, yeah, it was work. It was like, it was like learning it in school, you know, even learning it in the household, having my mom and dad sit me down and help kind of like teach me the language. Um, but yeah, it was something I didn't take upon myself to do until I was closer to maybe 12 or 13 years old. Okay. And I'd just been sick of getting harassed by all the other kids in the neighborhood, call me white boy, you know, call me Wedo. And I knew where I came from and where my family came from, but as where all my siblings spoke fluent Spanish, I didn't. So I didn't have that, like mm. that self, you know, like, right ability to, to defend that side of my, myself. So. And I think it's safe to say that Santa Cruz is a pretty territorial city. Like you got your West side, your East side, and they have a lot of pride in those areas and stuff. Like how was that growing up? Like, were you seeing a lot of like crazy shit going down and just feeling like you, there was lines not to cross and that kind of thing? I mean, that stuff to me at first, I didn't really get it because I grew up, I grew up in a, in a pretty like, like, like gang dominated neighborhood itself. So, so I saw a real gang banging firsthand. I saw, you know, people that were willing to shoot and kill one another, like over their colors versus like the East side, West side dynamic that I came to know. Uh-huh. Um, and no, that was still, that was still real in its own right. But at the same time, it was, it was weird to me at first. Cause I just thought to myself, like, what are, what are people really claiming this shit over? I know in my neighborhood, there's like, there's gang feuds over territories to be selling drugs. And there's, you know, actual territorial disputes, disputes when people ride on your neighborhood and do drive-bys and shit like that, you're going to go back and, and retaliate on their neighborhood. And so there's a reason to hate one another. But when you're a bunch of like privileged white kids that are fighting over waves and like yeah. cliffs of, of a beach, it's kind of like, what, this is weird. This is a trip to me. But then as I got more familiar with that culture, I realized, no, you know, they're not, they're not as privileged and as, and as, um, you know, they're not fabricating this, this ideal and this like territorial dispute. This goes back to a, a long time before 
I was born and this goes back to there being different little surf ghettos and, and they dealt with a lot of the same issues that we're dealing, we were dealing with in my neighborhood, you know, as far as like drugs and, um, and just territorial disputes, fighting people getting, you know, badly hurt or whatever. Um, never really heard of anybody really dying over it, but I mean, Mm. I've been a part of, and I've witnessed some pretty gnarly, like violent interactions based on East side, West side and South side. There's a South side midtown, you know, it was kind of like these little pockets of territories. And, um, and, and back when I was younger, it was way more intensified than it is now. It's all toned down a little bit. And, and I think people have realized like, you know, as, as people did start to get more like, impacted by it and you know i'm sure there have been certain certain people who have who have lost their lives like over it but um when that would happen in that community it was like whoa take a step back what's what's really what's this all really worth what's this all really about is where you know in 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 real gang culture people people die all the time and it's just part of the part of the you know yeah well i think that you know, from my perspective, it seems like this crosses over into skateboarding where at a young age, you learn like, don't blow out our fucking spots. Like, you know what I mean? Like skateboarding from the surfing aspect, I think it was like, hey, we got a rad spot with good waves. We're the locals. Don't bring kooks here. And then skateboarding, it's the same thing. Like, hey, I bring a photographer down to shoot my photo. I'm going to show you this spot, but don't bring other fuckers here. This is our shit. Right. That mentality kind of transfers over, right? Right. Yeah. And I mean, um, it as a whole now, I think that's where the community has become more defensive is, is it's not so much about like East side, West side, Midtown, everybody is struggling to maintain just any kind of community or any kind of like, you know, pride within the community or, or, or feel, feel that they still have this, this like, uh, you know, place, place to call their own. And, and with the, the whole com kind of boom, Mm. Um, that really changed everything that changed everything for everybody across the board, no matter what side of town you were from. And so I think collectively people just became a little bit more like, like unified in, in fighting the overall picture of, of gentrification and, and, you know, outsider influence. And, um, right. And so that's kind of where I feel like it's, it's gotten now is that the community has had to sort of come together and realize that it's, it's everybody's affected equally across the board when it comes to being outed of your own community, you know, can not, not being able to afford to live in the same community. Um, you so, get that. Yeah. Well, let's talk about getting on Santa Cruz. How did it all go down? How'd you go from flow, uh, uh, dog town to getting like sponsored by Santa Cruz skateboards? So it was, it was kind of interesting, um, timing the way that, that Santa Cruz came about. Well, where it started was that, uh, basically Dogtown had gone through one of those, those phases where, um, the brand had really slowed down and, and they sort of were starting to dissolve and, and they weren't able to really like maintain a big pro team, am team flow people. They kind of had to start letting people go and, is this before Cardiel and Karma and those guys, or is this with those guys? This is uh, like, is it the OG Aaron Murray, Scott Oster, Eric D. Dogtown, is, or when it was be, SF? This is probably like, going to be after. Like, this is probably going to be after, I'd imagine. And again, I don't. JJ Rogers. As a little kid, as a little kid looking at the timelines of things, uh, 
I know that I started to get, and so it was probably right around 2000 that, okay. that I was told that I wasn't, I wasn't going to be able to get any more flow from Dogtown. that the brand was going through some, you know, reshifting re and, and like refiguring out how to, how to compete in the skateboard world. And so it wasn't really a hard letdown or anything. I was really grateful for everything I had been given, but I also needed to figure out a way to keep getting free skateboards that I couldn't afford to go through all the time, you know, right. when, when I'm really trying to like progress my skating and, and go through product really quickly. So it just so happened that, uh, my, my early years in high school, I had a good friend who's, um, whose family had kicked him out of the house and, and he had been having some, some home conflicts and stuff. And he happened to be one of the shrink wrappers at NHS. He was working at NHS, just shrink wrapping boards. That was like his, his, you know, title. And, um, and so he lived with me for, for several months for maybe like four months. And while he was living with me, you know, I thought, shit, this is a perfect in right here. He, he works in-house. He might be able to bring in a sponsor me video to whoever the team manager is and like get my foot in the door since I don't know anybody. Yeah. Uh, the stuff through the stuff through Dogtown was just like a shop flow deal. It was just through bill. Uh -huh. Um, and so I started to compile a bunch of footage from whatever, like, scrap clips I could put together from people that had filmed me at different events. I had a couple of friends that actually had cameras that could go and film with me. And, um, and my mom knew a lady that had all the like dubbing equipment to take all these VHS tapes and like compile them onto one master copy. Oh, so I had to pay this elderly woman, uh, and sit down with her and basically like edit all this stuff together. Um, and then, and then put a song to it, which I chose, uh, Folsom prison blues. I picked Johnny Cash for my sponsor me tape. And oh, then when it was all like the master copy was put together, I had a couple copies made and I gave one to my friend to bring in to, to NHS and just said, if you can bring this to the team manager, like I'd be super grateful. And, uh, and the team manager at the time was Matt Sharkey. And so it literally was the same day that I gave him that tape. I gave it to him early in the morning. Like, I think that, you know, even in high school, some days he wouldn't, he wouldn't even go to school. He would just go to work in the mornings. Like he was kind of, he was kind of like halfway dropped out already. Mm -hmm. and, um, and later that day, like around the time I got out from school, I, I had gotten a phone call at home. All I had was a landline back then. There was a message on a message machine and it was like, Hey, my name is Matt Sharkey. I, the team manager over at Santa Cruz. We just watched your sponsor me video. We were stoked on it. All the footage that we saw, like we'd love to start, flowing you some boards. So wow. give me a call back. And whenever it's convenient, come through, introduce yourself, come grab some boards, you know? And that was just, that was literally like the origins of it all was just like sending in my sponsor me video, kind of the classic style way. And then, uh, getting that phone call back later that same day from, from Matt Sharkey saying, Hey, like what we saw, man, come grab some boards. Oh, cool. And so I literally, man, I didn't, I didn't know any protocols and I didn't know what to do. I just knew where NHS, where NHS was. And I knew that I had gotten a call from the guy from like one of the big, one of the big shots at NHS in my mind. Right. And so uh -huh. I just showed up to NHS that day unannounced, didn't like call, give a heads up, didn't know anybody still. I didn't even know what Matt looked like. I just knew his voice from that voicemail uh -huh. and walked straight into the warehouse. Cause back then it was a little bit less like, you know, they didn't have as much like eyes on the product and it wasn't as, as, you know, secure. Uh -huh. So I just walked into the warehouse and found the Santa Cruz section and like found a board that I liked and just grabbed a stack of them. I'd heard through the grapevine that, yeah, <laughs> flow riders get anywhere or like T 
team riders get like five or six boards a month. You know, those were the rumors floating around. And so I just remember grabbing like five boards, like a big old stack of boards and just not even thinking twice, just starting to walk out like, shit, this is, I guess what you do. You just come in and you get boards when you get that phone call. <laughs> and halfway out of the warehouse, I remember bumping into Kendall and, uh, and Kendall just, you know, looks at me and goes like, who the fuck are you, dude? What are you doing with all these boards? Cause they were, they were starting to have problems with people just coming in and taking shit. Right. And I was like, my name's, you know, Emmanuel. And I got a phone call from Matt Sharkey earlier. He told me to come get boards. And he was like, whoa, 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 whoa. He's like, dude, slow down. Whoa, slow it down. He's like, I, I believe you and all, but, but first of all, you have to know, this is not how things are done. This isn't, this isn't okay. You can't just walk in here and announce and just come and grab a stack of boards. And first of all, how many boards you got there? He's like counting the boards I got in my hand. He's like, well, he's like, no, 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 no. You're, you just got the call today. We're like, we're putting you on flow. He's like, here's three boards. Go put the other boards back <laughs> from now on, man. You got to go introduce yourself to the front desk. Let them know you're here. Tell them what's going on. Like you can't just come waltzing in here and grabbing shit, you know, cause they had, they had had some issues with local yeah. kids coming in and pillaging the warehouses, you know, that, that was probably the era where they realized shit, we need to like tighten it down. The cannery still existed. So people were coming to skate the cannery unannounced. Mm. Um, there was a lot of unwelcome traffic coming through there on a regular basis. And they were having issues with thefts and just all sorts of stuff. So was that your first time to NHS or had you been there to skate already? I had been there to the cannery to skate. Cause my older brother, Isaiah, he had friends that worked there. He had friends that worked in production uh-huh. Um, he had friends that worked in the warranty department. Uh, they had started making snowboards. So he had buddies that worked like, mm. um, in the snowboard stuff. And, and so I had been there only to skate the cannery. I still didn't really know anybody. And I mean, we would, we'd been kicked out of the cannery too, for showing up kind of like unannounced and unwelcome. So that was fun though. That was the mini oh, ramp. That was kind of like the boomerang or whatever, right? Like the, that was, that the, was hip. the Manson ramp. They called it the Manson ramp. It had all those like Charles Manson decals all over it. Yeah. And then it and had that the, street course, like Andy Roy and a bunch of dudes had like little parts in there and exactly that dude. little vert wall or whatever. My first time ever seeing people like Steve Bailey skate where it was at the cannery, you know, you get these, you get these insane, insane people coming through there. Uh-huh. But at the time I didn't really know anything about, I just knew based on their level of skateboarding, this like the talent that I was witnessing that I had never seen before that like, Whoa, did you see what that guy just did? That kind of shit, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, oh my gosh, that guy's so smooth on a skateboard. And, and then you come to find out years later, like, Oh yeah, that's Steve Bailey. And you're like, Whoa, I recognize that guy from when I was there at the cannery when I was a kid, you know? Uh-huh. And and people like that would be through there all the time, all the time. Yeah. I skated there with Alan Peterson one time and I was like, fuck, this guy's so good. <laughs> never got to, never got to see uh, AP skate there, but I mean, I've seen all the footage, a lot of, a lot of footage of him skating there and, and videos and just like other random, you know, raw, like, like home, home video clips. And mm. I mean, I, I can't think of too many people that, that destroyed that place any more than that guy. You know? Yeah, he was so good. Everybody um, back then, dude, everybody ripped that place. Ron, Israel, for Andy, sure. Yeah. Bailey, uh, my homie Yusuf Camino. I remember like seeing him skate there when I was a kid. And I mean, to me, a lot of the the flow local guys were just as impressive as any of the big name pros. Like they would skate those ramps just as good as any of the big name pros. A lot of the guys that worked there ripped. This dude, Sam Harden, he was probably one of my favorite guys to watch skate there. He was one of the uh the silk screeners. 
and he just had the sickest frontside ollies and just the sickest style, dude. Kind of like, uh. honestly, reminded me a little bit of Jason, but um, but I think he was Goofy Foot. Oh, okay. So it was like watching a Goofy Foot version of Jason. Kind of, I was like, whoa. And I could be wrong. He might have been regular Foot. I just remember him just fuck, dude, ripping. It's kind of the crossover, maybe from surfing. I mean, what's that one dude's name? He skates Buena so good. Uh, he might have worked at NHS. He's friends with Freel and Jason. He works on cars. He's got the sickest front side all. He's kind of like Cranny, where his arms are just like good, like Bailey. That just patented, like, that's right. how you do a front side all. Uh, Aaron Godoy. Or oh, Godoy. I, thought, Godoy. I thought you might have been talking about Godoy. Yeah. 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 Yeah, and he he used to have a sick ramp out in Corlitos. It's that ramp of uh, was Jason that from, on the cover with ramp plans. It's like all about ramp plans. Was it a vert ramp in Aptos? It wasn't. No, it was a it was a mini ramp with the big like extension, and it had like red uh, coping on it. And it's yeah, a yeah. Jason doing a frontside ollie, a super sick photo of Jason doing a frontside ollie. Yeah, and and that was his ramp. Nope, I don't have it. But you and know what I'm talking about. I have it, but not right here. And that was the first time I met him was being invited to come out and skate his mini ramp out in Coralitos a long time ago. Oh, sick. That's a good dude. He fixed my break. Shout out. Well, talk about the history of Santa Cruz. Were you into um, that video going off or was that before your time? No, 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 no. That was before my time. The, uh, the first is super funny, like coincidence. It's not, it's not like me actually being in the video, but while they were filming for pack media, um, they came through my neighborhood, the neighborhood I used to live in had some skate spots at it. It had like a six stair and a rail and a little circle courtyard. And, um, I remember being out there skating the six stair all the time. Like that was one of the crowning achievements of my skating at that point in time with being able to ollie the six stair. So I'd be out there ollieing that thing when it trying to 180 it all day long. Uh-huh. And, um, and all of a sudden this white van pulls up, uh, Kendall was the team manager and the filmer at the time. And, and again, this is way before I knew who he was. I just came to learn after the fact who everybody was that showed up on this session. Right. And so it's like, it's Ron, it's Israel. Um, I can't remember if, if, uh, Richard Kirby was there. I remember Ron being the one to skate the spot the most. And, and in the background of one of his clips, I think doing a lip slide on the rail, like I'm sitting down wearing this little two-tone flea market purchase hat. And, and so I got BGPs in that video. Oh, I shit. Like to consider that as my first time in a Santa Cruz video still. Okay. But, but no, um, I mean, that video kind of showcased Jaya Bondaroff, right? It was like, he was like going through Santa Cruz a bunch and it was kind of like sick boys where it was filmed on like uh super eight and stuff like that. There was an interesting team back then. There was like, like, I think uh Tony to Tony, uh, maybe yep. Vanika Kobian, um, uh-huh. Mike Rafter, Shout out Ron Israel. Um, I can't remember if Jamie Fortune was riding for him yet. Hell yeah. But it was definitely one of those like street forward eras where they were kind of trying to make the 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 team more of like a street oriented team. And so mm-hmm. I can't really I don't really remember there being like a a Fraser part in there. I'd have to revisit it. I haven't seen it in a long time. I should probably go back and study tape a little bit more, to be honest. But mm. but I just remember being present for parts of that video i was real young I, at that point i was probably like you know maybe maybe 10 or 11 years old okay so. when you started getting into santa cruz i think like initially i guess you're drawn to dress in and scott oster and murray those dogtown guys but once you're like part of the santa cruz thing does like 
living in Santa Cruz, skating for Santa Cruz, does like the history, all that stuff start becoming kind of like opening your eyes to like the importance of these things? And do you go back and watch some of the speed freak videos and, and see who Grasso, Jason, Roscop, all these dudes were and, and that kind oh, of stuff? For sure. I think originally though, Dogtown was the company that I really first wanted to write for. I was most drawn to Dogtown and that was more based around the fact that I was a huge suicidal tendencies fan. Like I love mm. suicidal from a real young age. And so the fact that they were kind of synonymous that like suicidal and Dogtown were, were related uh-huh. that was the big draw for me to Dogtown when I was young. And so I remember like keeping a journal when I was real young. Huh. And one of my first little journal entries was Dogtown for life. Like I had gotten the call that I was going to start getting Dogtown flow. And I kind of swore in that journal that like, I'll never ride for anybody ever again. You know, this is I'm, my, my life is set right now. This is a dream come true. This is my first skateboard dream come to reality. And I remember like, you know, writing that, in ink. Like I, I, I read that, wrote that in ink and, and I meant it. And, uh, and when the Dogtown thing fell apart, like I said, there was no hard feelings, but the next most relative and meaningful brands to me were the ones that I grew up seeing all around Santa Cruz. So that was Santa Cruz creature. And, and that was the shit that I saw every day all around me, all the other locals, you know, supporting and representing. And so just that, that branding was ingrained into my head as a local born in Santa Cruz and having that pride. Um, from that moment on, the only other company that I could see myself really having those same sort of like connections and bonds to was Santa Cruz. It really honestly had nothing to do with, with anybody that was writing for them at the time. It just had mm. more to do with like representing something that was meaningful to me based on where I grew up and, and, supporting that that local ideal of like keeping it like homegrown you know mm-hmm. um and even when i came to to learn about deluxe and learn about all these other sort of local northern california based brands like no my pride was still based like in santa cruz because i was from santa cruz and and i was representing for my community i was representing for all the the people i grew up with you know the the the, the neighborhoods for all the for all the locals like that was that was where my, my draw to want to ride for Santa Cruz, like, and commit and and be loyal to that came from really, it it really, I didn't know anybody. I didn't know shit about skateboarding. I Mm. just knew, I just knew what I had pride in and what I thought like was meaningful to me. Well, what's your earliest memory of getting to Derby? Like first time down to Derby, like what? Shit. Honestly, my first time to Derby was a, a friend. I stayed over at a friend's house when I was probably like nine years old. And again, I had barely started skateboarding. I, I started skating in 93. This was probably like 93 or 94. Fuck. And I stayed at a friend's house and his dad was really cool. This kid, Brian Haro, who ended up working at NHS years, years later, um, his dad was really cool. And he's like, you guys want to play hooky today? I'm like, fuck yeah. What's, what's the plan? You know, he's like, we're going to Derby. <laughs> And so I remember we, we ditched school that day, probably nine years old. And, and he took us to Derby and I remember just showing up there and like, it was real eye opening. I, I remember standing in the snake run and the snake, you know, I was barely taller than the snake <laughs> run at that point in time. Like, Whoa, this place is gnarly. All the graffiti, uh, all the, all the locals. It was pretty early in the morning. There were still people skating at fuck nine in the morning there. Um, and I remember being pretty intimidated by it. Honestly, it, it was a long time between the first time I went there and the next time I went there. Mm. Um, not only was it on the other side of town and, and back then means of transportation and 
that whole localism, when I started to learn and embrace that, like being from the East side, the furthest I would typically go would be Santa Cruz high and Santa Cruz high was eye opening enough that like, damn, skateboarding is a rough scene. These people are pretty fucking street. Like, <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Kids uh-huh. are getting their boards jacked at Santa Cruz high. Kids are getting their boards focused, throwing up on the roof. People are getting punked out of there. Dudes are drinking forties, like at a school, you know, yeah, um, smoking joints. Like I, I, I kind of learned like, damn, this culture is pretty rough. And so for a long time, that was as far West as I would go. And Derby's like far West. So as I started to proclaim my East side pride, like more and more and show up with grip tape jobs, like that one, like, fuck you East side. If you ran into the wrong dudes at Derby with that attitude, like it didn't matter if you were 13 or 14, you're going to get your ass kicked. Okay. And so I was pretty wary to go to that side of town. I kept it more on our side of town and played it safe. And then as I got a little older and, and got a bus pass, my dad worked for the Metro. So we got an annual bus pass that we could, you know, take the bus anywhere around any day of the week for free. Um, my buddies and I would take the bus from SoCal down to Santa Cruz to downtown Santa Cruz. And then we'd skate to Derby. Um, and so slowly, but surely I started to kind of feel it out and there were no, there were no other skate parks at the time. That was all there was. Yeah. There was Frederick street, but I, you know, we never really considered that a, a skate park. We always just considered that like somewhere to go and roll around if we wanted something other than just like flat streets. Mm-hmm. Um, so at the time, like there was mini ramps, which we mainly skated. We mainly grew up skating street and mini ramps. There were no skate parks. And then, and then if you were brave enough to venture out to Derby and, and like battle the, the locals and the crowds over there, then, um, you know, it was a different era. Like, you might, you might get punked out of there. You might barely get any runs in depending on who was skating that day. Uh You might might trek your ass all the way to Derby and then end up standing there for hours, like waiting to take a run. And that's another case of dudes that you've never heard of or seen before that just fucking rip that place. Like there's dudes that come and they might just be local surfers. I don't know who they are, but they skate it like so fast and do like board slides around the corner. They just got lined and dialed and you're like, how the fuck are you like? You, exactly. They, exactly. They put hours in there. And that was eye opening, right? Because here we were, we're like, like street skaters. We were, we were out skating stairs and um, gaps and, and curbs and ledges and shit. And then you go to Derby and see dudes gyrating and flying around that place and doing fucking 30 foot blunt slides. And uh big old ollies over the top hips and like early grab mania, you know, early grab three sixties and just shredding in this fucking aggressive, like stay out of my way kind of attitude where yeah. when you're street skating, people are taking turns, right? You're like, you're kind of following in line. You, okay. Now it's your turn to hit the stairs. It's your turn to hit the lead. Like uh, not like stay the fuck out of my way. I'm going yeah. at this curb or I'm going up these stairs and you go to Derby. And it's like I said, some days you just stand around and watch people skate depending on who was skating. Cause if you tried to drop in and you got in somebody's way, you're going to get ran over or you were going to get an earful. They were going to, they were going to scare the shit out of you. Right. And so, uh, yeah, Derby was intimidating for a long time until I remember getting old enough, big enough to start like standing up for myself. And that's in that sense that, you know, it was kind of like, shit, man, we just came here and those dudes are skating now. Like, let's just go back to Santa Cruz high or whatever, you know? 
Is Santa Cruz High the one that has like that down curb that like a lot of people skated? It had the stage, kind of the main stage, which was okay. like a four, yeah. four stage, tall stage. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then there's a little six there. And then there were ledges kind of surrounding the courtyard. It was kind of like a little, little gaps and things. Yeah. Little plaza. It was like, it's like a plaza. little fucking plaza, dude. Yeah. And that's the first place that I really saw like any, you know, or, or, or got introduced to, to what a pro was like the way that people revered a pro on the, on the sesh. You know, uh-huh. you'd, you'd see Ron Whaley there. You'd see Israel Forbes. Every once in a while, you'd see Strubing there. Justin would roll through. And and not only did their skating speak volumes for itself as far as why they were pros, you'd be like, oh, shit, that's why they're a pro, you know? Mm. But the way that people revered them, like when those dudes were skating, people sat down. People, like, actually stopped and watched. Or people would stay the fuck out of their way without them having to say anything. Right. Um, they would be able to walk around and, like, have a stack of boards and sell a bunch of boards to the kids and people, they might've been broke as hell, but like if they had 10 bucks in their wallet and Ron Whaley came up offering to sell you one of his used boards, like you're going to spend your last 10 bucks and buy that board from Ron and sit there with your friends and go, fuck, look, dude, I just got this fucking used board from Ron. Like, right. You might come over and ask to rope your joint or something. And you're like, dude, I just burned it with Ron Whaley. Oh my God. <laughs> you know? I mean, Ron and Israel were kind of like, I remember early on when I would go to Santa Cruz and drive around and go like spot to spot and we'd go to Derby or whatever. It seemed to me like everyone was like, Israel did this here. Israel did that here. Israel did this here. Like it was like Israel marked that, that city up. Oh, yeah, yeah. I've got very, very vivid memories of seeing that guy skate in person for my first times. Like I can remember the tricks he was doing. I remember him and Ron actually playing a, a game of skate down this six there a long time ago. And this six there's, it's hard to skate. There's like hardly any run up. It's long. Um, it's not like a teeny little six there and there's super short run up. So you got to just like run and throw down real quick. Mm. And the shit they were doing in this game of skate was just unbelievable, man. Like to this day, I would be, I would be very, very. Those are the moments you just feel that feeling that like, you can't duplicate in, in this era of like with our wisdom and everything that's happened. You're just like those early moments. Like I would just remember going to the San Jose uh, warehouse where they had the spine and the vert ramp and all that yeah, stuff. Yeah, and yeah. like just hearing the noise from your car before you went in, you could tell if JJ Rogers was there or not. There was like the loudest the smack in the world yeah, on the spine. Yeah, You're yeah. like, it's yeah. either Wade or JJ. I know it. And like, exactly. Dude, yeah. It's you know, like- those, the first time I saw Tim Brock skate Derby, like I had heard a lot of people, the sounds of skateboarding at Derby before the lip slides, the tail slides, the blunt slides. Like it probably wasn't until I saw, I saw Tim Brock skate Derby that I knew what a fucking 20 foot loud nose blunt slide could sound like, Yeah, you know, just so crisp and just so precise and just like, and, and tip to tip the whole thing. Like he wouldn't spare an inch on those lips. He would, he would skate the entire lip full speed backside nose blunt reverts, like shit that I wouldn't come to learn or know the difficulty of for fuck decades. Like that stuff didn't really register in my, my young mind until years later, until way later, you know, like what I was actually witnessing, like watching Ron and Israel skate a game of skate on that six there. And then one day getting to the point of being able to try stuff on that six there and realizing how difficult it was. And then thinking of the tricks they were doing at that moment in skateboarding where like they couldn't have really learned those types of tricks 
from watching other people do them in that era, like down more than things like two or three stairs, you know, yeah, people might've been doing that stuff, but down like three stairs too. So they were, they were really progressive. Like they were really pushing skateboarding at that moment in time. And, you know, as I got older, I really started to recognize and appreciate that, that dude, these guys were amazing in their right in the, in their place in history of skateboarding, like to this day. And, and I was super lucky to get to witness that stuff. But, um, you know, I know a lot of kids that I've been their first pro to me. And I think about how I presented myself. And then I think about the way that I saw those first pros and the way that they were skating in front of like a kid like me for my first time. And just like, it's major. Yeah. Yeah. What was, do you remember the first trip you went on? Like first, yeah. like get in the van or fly somewhere or wherever it was. The first, the first real, like, like Santa Cruz trip I ever got asked to go on was, um, it was shortly after, uh, they had just finished this big long tour, um, till the wheels fall off. It was, it was called till the wheels fall off. And the, the Santa Cruz van had these huge decals all over the sides still. And uh-huh. it, it had been one of those like month and a half long cross country tours that like mainly the, the, the the top pros on the team at the time. And then I think Ryan Parsons was maybe like one of, if not the only am on that, that tour, mm-hmm. they, they did a video of it and stuff. But, uh, shortly after that, I got to go on a little like introductory flow trip to Sacramento and Woodland. We, we went and, um, spent a few days in Sacramento and Woodland. Uh, Sharky was still the team manager. Um, and, and I got to meet, Eric Bork and, and first time in the van with Ron, even though he drove up with his homie, Ernie, they, they mm-hmm. drove up in uh, his buddy's forerunner, but, um, Mike Rafter, uh, Stefan Atardo, uh, this girl, Kanan, um, Mikey Taylor was on that trip. He was kind of getting flowed boards at that time. Oh shit. Um, it was very much like an introductory clip to see or trip to see how I like clicked with the team to see if people, were willing to have me in the van again or to see if my, my, you know, attitude and approach to like that whole team dynamic were going to work. And, um, you know, I, I had already been told by my elders at that moment in time, knowing that I was getting this opportunity, like, like sit there and shut up. Don't speak unless spoken to, like, don't fucking blow it. You know, you know, I can see you doing this. There's, uh-huh. there's etiquette that, that you have to follow right now as the, as the, the young kid in the van and like, don't step out of line, basically. Right. Don't, don't ruin your chance to go on another trip, you know? So those were things that, that my brother, that my, like my, my older peers were already feeding me with knowing that I was getting this opportunity. Like, damn, that's a real deal. You're getting to go on a Santa Cruz trip and get in the van. Like, don't mess it up, dude. You know? Um, and that was my very first ever, like, like real kind of flow trip with the team to get to meet everybody, get to meet the filmers. Um, uh, what was the the one filmer's name? Uh, he used to film with them a lot. Um, uh, he's nice dude. He's an interesting character though. He used to wear like eyeshadow. You probably know who I'm talking about. <laughs> I don't know. Um, anyways, the names will come back to me at some point, but like, uh-huh. it was cool. It was cool getting to meet everybody and getting to, to go and skate. And Oh, that day too. First time I got to see Cardiel was on that trip. Um, we showed up to Woodland and we had kind of like reserved time at the little Woodland skate park. Um, I think, I think Nigel's family was still running it back then. Nigel yeah. and his brothers were teen little kids. Parents had taken over the Woodland park and we show up there and there's only one person in there. And, you know, you're talking about the sounds of skating and like when you just recognize some shit uh-huh. and I've come to now recognize like 
the sounds of cardio skating and kind of as again, it reminds me a little bit of like that Tim Brock's like power precision. Everything is just done. So like raw and, and, but so perfectly in a way, you know? Yeah. Um, and so we show up and he's skating there by himself. Like if there's fucking thousands of people watching, dude, like he's there by himself. All so these pyramids down when no one's there. Nobody's there, dude. Head, yeah. head high, front side air, tail bash on the way in. And, and literally, he didn't even know that we were watching probably. He was just like doing his thing. And I remember just like even the guys I was with, just taking a back seat and just stepping back and just watching for a little while before being like, what's up, John? How's it going? You know, like everybody just kind of showing up and like, Oh shit. Cardiel skating, you know? And I didn't know who he was. I just knew that I was witnessing greatness. I was like, Oh, oh. fuck. Yeah. Those are the moments. Pretty memorable too. Like I came to find out later, like you do in those moments, like that's John Cardiel. Like, fuck, I don't know who's John Cardiel, you know? Uh-huh. You'll, don't worry, kid. You'll know soon enough. You'll know, yeah. you'll know soon enough, you know? Then you see a video part or his photo in the mag and you start identifying like, oh, I've seen that guy in person. And then it just becomes this big, larger than life thing. My favorite, man. He was instantly like from that first introduction of just seeing him by himself, like in the raw, like in his element kind of. Mm. Um, it's just like, uh, it was majestic, you know? And then after seeing like, full video parts of that stuff compiled and then getting to understand his character. It was just, it was easy to be a big fan right away. Absolutely. Yeah. John's the best. Is that kind of what drew you to um, skating for Spitfire is like the love of Cardiel and that attitude and all that stuff? I just thought, I mean, again, like, like to ride for Santa Cruz was more of a local based kind of pride. That was, that was something that I just, I grew up with. That was like instilled in me from the moment I was born here. But when I discovered deluxe and discovered just the whole style that all those brands embodied that like, Spitfire, Antihero, you know, all those, those companies really embodied and, and their sort of raw nature, they were just so raw. Like there's just so much grit behind their approach to skateboarding. And I think that there was a purity to it. That's always just really spoken to me. There's something that is always really simplified what skateboarding is to me through the way that, that those brands have like, 
gathered and, and compiled themselves and their approach, right? That mm-hmm. They've always kept it very pure to me. And, and I think that that was what drew me to wanting to ride for Spitfire because before riding for Spitfire, actually, uh, I rode for Jason's wheel company, Hard Luck. Oh. And that was still that sort of like that real raw, pure approach to skateboarding where to get wheels from Jason for Hard Luck, I had to try out for him. I had to show up to the auto mowdown skate for him and and he didn't actually watch he sent his team manager outside to watch me skate and then come back and report like how i did you gotta want it basically you know what i mean who is that it was shane scafoni oh shane yeah he works at bills and so scafoni's like yeah come by you can you can try out today on the back ramps jason had this crazy fucking ramp set up it was the old sessions ramp like flipped up on its deck uh-huh. And he had screwed a bunch of sheet metal to piece it back together, but on its deck. So it was basically like a big giant, like half, half circle wall ride, you know? So my mind is a garden. I skateboard, but I'm an artist. And that's what I had to try out on. I'm like, dude, this thing's impossible, but I'll give it my best, you know? Yeah. And so I did. I remember doing a, a pivot, a nose pick, and maybe a, a frontside disaster on this crazy wall ride contraption that ended in just a half inch sheet of plywood at the top. So you're like doing a pivot on a half inch sheet of, you know, this eight foot fucking wall ride thing. And yeah, I remember barely being able to get a disaster lapped over there. And um, I remember eating shit a bunch, but like I, I landed a few tricks and that was my tryouts. And then Shane went back and told him what I did on it, went inside the warehouse and I had to stay outside and wait. And then he came back and he says, Jason, you can, Jason said, you can take a couple pairs of wheels when you leave. And so, and that was like me getting on hard luck. And I just thought, huh. damn, this feels like some, uh, some Alva or some, like some ancient fucking skateboard tryouts that people have been having to do. Like, you know, from, from the, the origins of skateboarding, this is how, this is how skateboarding works to me kind of. Uh-huh. And so looking back at that and looking back that like, dude, there haven't been real like tryouts for decades people haven't haven't had to do that shit once upon a time you kind of did it's real it exists um you've seen a lot of people come and go through santa cruz uh you know throughout the years you've been there what like 25 like a long time you've been there uh how do you feel about like when having some input in that like do you want to be like hey we're thinking about putting this guy on and and do you feel like well for this trip i'm getting in the van because i need to put my stamp of approval on this dude, you know, like, or now that you're older, I mean, you got a lot of shit going on, family, everything else. Like, are you a little more just like you guys will do the right thing? You know what? For the most part, yeah. I've always been really grateful and I've always had a lot of pride like in, in Santa Cruz, in the brand and, and what it, you know, means to me and what I think it should represent to skateboarding and how it should be like, you know, perceived by the masses, the kinds of image that I looked up to, like in certain brands is the kind of, you know, response and the kind of draw I want other people to find in Santa Cruz, right? I want them to want to find their, their brand that speaks to them and then like represent that shit, whether mm. they ride for them or not. And, and so loyalty has always been big to me, no matter who I ride for, I, I am in it full fledged, like emotionally, physically, um, you know, conceptually, like I want to, I want to really try and do what's best for that company as best as I can in whatever way I can, if that's, you know, trying to help find riders that I think are, are a good fit that are mm-hmm. going to represent that brand well, or, you know, 
if I'm not vibing with somebody, like I'm going to probably voice that to the point of where it might create internal conflict. Hasta la vista, baby. It means enough to me to, to protect that name, then, then I will. Like, I will. I'm not going to go behind people's backs and, and you know, backstab or, or, you know, tattletale about shit. Like, I'll confront it head on. I'll go to the source and I'll, I'll deal with it first and foremost. You know, hit the pay phone. What up? No, like you said, at this point in my life, I've got a lot of other things that I've got to really focus on as priorities and and my family and my kid and sort of like, yeah, my future outside of, of all these just constant years of, of making skateboarding my, my main objective and my, my priority in life. Um, no, I think that I'm always going to want to be involved in that decision-making process, but I've had to let go of that, like control a little bit, you know, for me, it became a control thing. I think where I cared so mm. much that, that, it became more of like, all right, now I've got to have a little bit of control over this is where there are people who are in the position they're in to make those decisions for a reason. And, yeah. and I don't need to always concern myself with those decisions every single time. Yeah. And, and a lot of the times that I might be a little bit more like weary or standoffish to a decision that's made, I typically find myself falling in approval, like shortly thereafter, as soon as I get to meet that person, I get to spend some time with them. Mm. And, and yeah, that's, that's been the case, like for sure as of, as of late, you know? Oh yeah. Oh, see. Oh yeah. It gets deep. Oh, see. Okay. It's hard to watch friends and teammates go. That's always, that's always really difficult. You build relationships around your time spent with people on the road and in skateboarding. And then when that's no longer, you're hurt and you feel this, this, um, you know, sort of the the effects of like this breakup, you know, that you're not going to be getting to spend as much time um, experiencing life with them on the company's dime. And you're not going to get all these, like build these memories together in the van in the same way. But if you've built a good enough and a true enough friendship, then that shit will never go away. You you've made a lifelong friend through that dynamic. And like, that's where the value lies. You know, it's not in getting to get in the van with them anymore, um, getting to ride for the same company. It's, it's the, you've just made a fuck a friend for life through skateboarding basically. Right. Yeah. I mean, we're very fortunate in that way to just be able to spend so many hours with some of the best people out. And it's like, it's tough though. When you, I mean, sometimes I trip out on like, is it harder to see someone go and still be alive or see someone go and die? Like, cause those people are still here, but they're not in my life, you know, versus now they're not in my life and they're dead. And like, right. I mean, we, we could go down a dark rabbit hole with all our losses and stuff. It's just uh, one of those things that like you were talking about, sometimes I've catch myself and I'll be like, I've been learning this. It's almost meditation where it's like, Nope, stop. Hashtag. Are you okay? You're not going to think about the same or change thoughts, you know, like, yeah. you know what I mean? Like yeah. switch gears. <laughs> yeah, no, nah, totally. And you know what? I mean, honestly, like I think a lot of people have felt the same losses across the board from some of the the founding fathers and some of the the real um true like like legends and and, and skateboard icons but um no like you said I, for one those people wouldn't want us to sit around and dwell on the negative aspect of their loss right um but i i think it's okay to accept that that you know skateboarding lost some great people and that it's okay if little pieces of you that that really related or that really felt this connect through these people like died a little bit. Cause I mean, fuck, we all, we die a little each day, all of us, every day, we're all getting a little older. We're all dying just a little bit. Like 
it's okay to accept death for what it is Mm -hmm. and to accept that skateboarding will never be the same without those physical, the physical presence of some of those people. But again, that's kind of like why I do my grip tape jobs. If I look down and I see a P-Stone grip tape job, I see a Phelps, I see a Hubbard grip job, you know, a, a, a Lywing grip job. Like it reminds me that, that in death is life, right? Like here I am still bringing life, breathing life through my skateboard through their name, like without them having to be there watching with some physical eyeballs on me, you know? And, and um, yeah. And so, yeah, I mean, I think that just as much like, as we can dwell on, on death, I think that there's always so much, uh, positive to take away from like being able to continue on to live, you know, straight up. No. And the, the first thing you said is super important. Um, even if it is cliche, it's like, they definitely don't want you to sit around and be bummed. Yeah. Like that's not Preston ain't looking down, going like Schmitty sit in bed for a while and cry about me. <laughs> you ain't saying that, you know, Felper's like not looking at me going like, yeah, quit life, dude. I'm dead. I'm gone. You know, like that's not the motto. It's like, fucker, do it for me, dude. Get out there and make, make your voice or get yours in. And like, I remember he, Jake, especially would be like, I'm skating for Curtis and Phil. Those guys can't do it. I have to. Like that was his mentality, like straight right. up. Right. So yeah, yeah you're right on with that. Gain a lot from that. And I think about it all the time. They're, you know, their, their voices echo in my subconscious all the time. When I try and, when I try and like take the weak route, those, those guys wouldn't have it. They would, they wouldn't have that shit if they were around to let you know, face to face, like they'd be the first to say, try harder. Exactly. Get it together. Get out there. Go yeah. eat some shit. Come on, E-Man, run a tight ship. Feel that pain and then just like, oh, love it. Just embrace that you're alive, that you can feel that shit. Like, Mm -hmm. you know. Well, let's talk about turning pro. How did that go? Was it a surprise? Was it like kind of like an orchestrated thing? Like, how how did it happen? You know, honestly, there wasn't any. I didn't get like that big old surprise, like yo, here's your board. They, we it wasn't like that people. back then. That's yeah. more modern era. Yeah. Yeah. We were filming something for, for strange notes that had just been revamped. Like they had just brought strange notes back from that sort of like, you know, late eighties, early nineties era when Berto used to do all the strange notes to yeah. this new form of DVDs. They had just like DVDs were still pretty new at the time. And they had come into an affordable way to like put out DVDs to the masses for free and, and skateboards, like, within the, the, the shrink wrapping and the packaging, they were able to like give you a free, you know, strange notes, DVD with different little product reviews and different little skits and things. Uh-huh. And so we would be filming those all the time. I was always super down and happy to be a part of that creative process of like doing product reviews, doing skits, just putting together these silly little free compilations for, for people to get with their boards or whatever. Uh, and, and so we were filming one of those, I think it was like a product pillage where we would go through the warehouse and we'd grab the, the new boards or clothing or, you know, whatever the gear was and throw it in a shopping cart. And we'd talk about it like, damn, look at this new Santa Cruz dot shirt thing's sick. I'm throwing one of those in there. Let me get two. Oh, look at these new boards. These are rad, like 7.8 fucking 31.2. Like that's a sick graphic. That's a sick shape. I'm going to get a handful of those, throw those in the cart. And then we got to this crate and the team manager at the time was like, 
what are these ones right here? These aren't even open yet. Let's open a package of these, see what these are. And I was like, okay, yeah, sick. I don't know what these are. Fucking so we go and you know, you kind of, you kind of at least at some point, and this this is probably a process that's been happening for a while. You're asked for some concepts, some ideas in the chance that you go pro. Like, what are some graphic ideas you might have if in the chance you go pro one day? Like, mm. just so we have an idea, you know, mm-hmm. that's about as much as you were given. So I'm like, fuck, I'll I'll drop my first board. I remember like designing my first imaginary pro model board and being like, I don't know, something like this. If you're looking for specifics, like, here you go. This is my idea of what a sick pro model is. And it's, it's like a bunch of low riders, a bunch of like 63, 64 Impalas and some other old cars, like a chopper, these girls hanging out on booze barrels. Um, there was brick, a brick pathway to kind of represent my neighborhood. I grew up in, there was a bunch of brick all over the place. And I remember like, wanting to incorporate all these details. There's all kinds of crazy shit. The zigzag man burning one up in the clouds. Um, I think there's like some weird image of, of uh, like Rick James or something, just some crazy shit. (laughs) And and they were like, okay, like this will never happen, but good to know kind of thing, you know? Uh And then during that product pillage for strange notes, we're digging through these boxes and my buddy pulls out a stack of boards and, I flip them over and it's my first graphic pro model basically. And it's all documented somewhere. Like they definitely filmed my first, you know, site. Like your reaction, my reaction to seeing my first pro model board. And, and, um, that was, that was genuine, but, um, no, there wasn't like a bunch of people popping out of the woodwork surprise or any of that. Was the graphic, some of the stuff you had done, like the ideals, and then it was, I think I had left my board with the art department, just like indefinitely, just in uh. case they ever needed to reference it. Uh. And so um, they definitely had like a pretty strong reference to go off of for my first pro model. And they definitely incorporated as much as they could within the, the scheme of things. Um, again, it was, it was uh, not quite part of a series, but they were doing these series that were very limited in colors. They were sort of these black, white, and gray scale boards with, with very minimal color. Um, it was, a it was a power light. So they had just come out with that, like new Kevlar kind of top layer technology. Yeah. And, um, since I had been writing that stuff anyways, because I was, I was jumping down big shit and, and I was putting a lot of strain on the boards, like they could withstand a lot of that abuse and so they just decided like i mean he already rides it and makes sense to put it on his own pro model and so Mm. i remember like there been these little details that that they were able to accommodate based on my brainchild but then um it definitely fell into line of whatever kind of like run or series of power light pro models they were doing at that time got it it wasn't sort of this like standalone like introducing you know all right free i'll dig out the screen Print one, send it to me. I need his first board. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if they were even screen printing. It might have all been heat transfer at that point. Oh, really? Might have been heat transfers. I'm not. I'm not 100 sure to be honest, but I'm pretty huh. sure that pretty sure it was heat transfers at that point. Okay, sick. Are you a a hoarder, or a collector? Oh like, my do, god, dude, it's bad. Is it bad? Do you have bad. one of every board and like? I've got at least one of every board. I've had over, I've had like 42 pro models and I've got, I've got at least one, if not more of each one. Uh-huh. So I like to roughly estimate I've got about a hundred of my own pro models laying around somewhere. Uh-huh. Um, and then I've got probably another like 
400 of other people's and just random boards I've collected over the years. I've, I've got a whole warehouse full of skateboards. Like I got a storage unit, like stacked to the ceiling <laughs> with skateboards and shit. Dude. You and me suffer from the same dude, problem. I don't know what to do, man. I'm, <laughs> me I'm at too. a lot. I don't know what to do. I'm shit. in a one bedroom apartment and we have stuff like overflowing and then i got a storage unit i'm like this stuff's never gonna make it to the house <laughs> even if i had even if i had like a, a seven bedroom house i wouldn't have the wall space for it all i don't even know what i was thinking i have the dream of that extra tall ceiling and like just four solid walls no windows and just everything just it would be cool man it would be cool to have a space like like yeah where um, you could like just production warehouse at nhs with their big old wall of fame you know Mm. be able to hang up all 500 boards but like yeah <laughs> i have my own warehouse one day, not, so. yeah what's your favorite thing in the santa cruz museum i really like tacos favorite thing in the santa cruz museum is probably like honestly i mean there's so much rad history but to me anything that's like a living art piece anything that's actually represents people's like blood sweat and tears in that moment and the collective idea that they had of, of having all those ramps when they were kind of creating the museum. That was fun. And having everybody come through and skate the ramps yeah. and all the fucking wheel marks and all the grind marks on the coping and just, mm. and then incorporating those walls, those transitions into the museum itself. Like mm -hmm. if I had to pick one thing other than that insane indie uh, welded piece made up of all the different trucks. Fuck that thing's epic. I mean, it's really hard. It's hard to pick any one thing. There's some, there's some, I really like that like, downhill board, like the speed. Uh, I forget the guy's name. Uh, it, it slips my mind right now, but uh, I John, think they, ha John. they have his suit next to it. It's kind of right. Yeah. Yeah. John, I, John Gibson or. or I, I, I don't know. I want to say like millions or something, but I, I, have no, I can't remember right now, but yeah, there's some cool shit though my old school his, historical knowledge of names. Sometimes I'll just say a name because like it's bouncing in my head and people will be like, no, that's not the person. That's no. <laughs> well, that's what sucks about the internet. Cause you could, you used to be able to trick them. You could be like, Oh yeah, it's Tony Roberts. And they'd be like, Oh, okay, cool. But now the guy's in the back. Google. No, it's not. It says right here. It's Bill Jameson. And you're like, Oh fuck. All right, bro. Then why Wait, didn't you John just Gibson? Is he the guy from Texas? Yeah, that's Tex. That's fucking yeah, Alva pro. That's what I'm saying, dude. I'm just yeah. talking shit. I'm like, it's Dwayne Peters. Up. I like Dwayne and Novak getting into it. Like, I, love fucking I think the guy's no name is John something, though. I could be wrong, but I believe he still lives here in Santa Cruz. John, okay. And he was like their downhiller dude. And I think he held the, the, the speed record, the downhill speed record for a long time. What about the dude that fucking bombed the Derby Hill naked fastest? Oh, like, the uh, Ramport? Was it Jesse Golings or something? Yes. Yeah, yeah. Like how, how fast? I don't know how fast he was going, but he did it naked. That's all that fucking matters. <laughs> it broke. Like, I think he broke the record. Like, <laughs> you can grind, you can grind your manhood off. If you go down pulling some stunt like that, that's crazy. So crazy, yeah. man. What's the craziest shit you've been there for to see on a skateboard? Dang. Craziest shit I've been there for to see on a skateboard, man. There've been some, there've been some crazy things I've, I've been there to see. Um, I mean, I think definitely seeing uh, any of those old Wallenberg contests were pretty buck. Ooh. Those old Wallenberg contests were pretty buck in that moment in time and just have already had stepped up to Wallenberg, like in the raw. And then just seeing just people go ham at that contest was pretty gnarly. Um, 
Yeah, I, I would think- agree. Chris Cole back three, like second try. First try hits his head, second try make. You're just like, oh, this contest is official, kids. I've seen so many gnarly. I don't even know where to begin. I've seen some pretty heavy shit before, man. Uh, One of the last, one of the, one of the most current uh, last gnarly, like probably feats I saw go down was um, Henry Gartland. We were on this trip up in, up in uh, Sacramento and we came up, we came upon this, gnarly handrail dude this fucking behemoth handrail and um i remember watching the dude 50 50 it which was gnarly but like doing it pretty confidently and and pretty consistently and i mean i know he's got it like that but uh but then he decided you know it, it would have been like the dream trick i would have tried on it if i had if i had had the balls but he's like i think i'm gonna try to nose grind it you know i'm like fuck all right dude it's about to get real right now like a nose grind on this thing is a whole nother beast than 50 50 in this thing uh, and i mean it's the kind of rail you gotta like you gotta push fast at you can't creep up to this thing it's long and it's mellow and it's tall and um and i remember the first the first try you know you're almost like you're like cringing when they're ollieing up to it you're kind of doing one of those like oh shit what's gonna happen and sure enough like he locks into it, but his board catches and he does some crazy ninja roll. He just, just barely survives, like gets out of it though. And you're thinking like, is he even going to try this shit again? You know, but the dude was really gnarly. He, he was very fearless. And, uh, and so he gets back up there and he's like, fuck it, dude. I'm going to, I got this right here, right here. And you're just like, Oh boy, here we go again. What's going to happen this time. And so same thing, he's coming at it, maybe even with a little bit more gusto for the second try, second try locks in and and you can just see the rail fighting him the whole way. Like it's that matte thick white paint and it's just trying to grab his shit. And and it's just making that real raw, not like that smooth, clean handrail sound where it's like you're gliding through it. It's like, sounds like that real rusted steel coping kind of And he just muscles that fucker all the way down. Second try lands it. And, and I just remember like, Whoa, that was heavy, dude. That was heavy. Like possibly ran after him, even couldn't even control my own (laughs) uh, adrenaline in that moment. Like had to chase him down. Like, (sighs) you know, that's so sick. It it was, it was gnarly, but honestly, fuck, I've, I've witnessed so many gnarly things. It's hard to think of just one. Yeah. I always, I don't even think it's the not well, it might be the gnarliest, but I always, for some reason, just because of the circus of it, um, Danny Way jumped off the uh fucking uh guitar at the hard rock. Oh, and God, and I went out there to photograph it and uh God. I was like, you know, I mean, Bob Burnquist dropped in on the ramp switch, which was really crazy, and nobody oh, no. ever talks about that because it was Danny's thing, right? But there was it was so gnarly and like See, uh, i've never really witnessed like i've never really witnessed any live mega ramp sessions i've never really witnessed like uh any of danny way's crazy feats but i know that to me when i see that stuff it's almost on another level it's so surreal yeah it, it almost doesn't even feel like skateboarding you know what i mean it's mm-hmm. like this whole other yeah like bob jumping into the grand canyon and parachuting shit, you're like, shit, uh. like <laughs> stuff that bob's done i'm sure if i had been there to witness it that would be the stuff that i remembered as the gnarliest shit the stuff mm-hmm. that danny way's done like yeah some crazy feats people have done um i filmed bob go through the rafters in that ramp in oakland that cardiel did 
Yeah. That was fucking Pedro Barros. Pedro Barros has done some superhuman feats. Like, yeah, jump in the some- channel at the combi. Like, what? Yeah. So, yeah, his bird just- ramp, like, after I've been to his house in, in uh, Florianopolis and like <sighs> that wooden beam that he stalls up on the above his bird ramp <laughs> and shit like that. Like, he's the real deal. I, I know mean, Bob did all that crazy stuff on his goal, like on that soccer goal post stuff. Like, yeah, that's I mean, true. There's been so many gnarly things done in skateboarding, but as far as the things I've witnessed, like that shit's almost so surreal when you see it in person, it's hard to to pinpoint like one thing. Yeah. Uh, Joe Brooks said to tell you, to tell the story about doing that front blunt at the boat loading dock. Oh, yeah. I think Silas had the cover of 13 there or whatever. Yes. Yeah. So that dude, that spot's insane. It's so insane. But, um, after seeing that photo of Silas there, it was definitely like mandatory, you know, mandatory spot to hit. Like, like had to go and at least check it out, find it, had to go see where it was. Yeah. um, I think I must've, I must've hit Joe up to find out where it was, or or I I can't remember who I went there with the first time, but. Dude, it was me. I think it was me, you, you? Jordan and Noah. I'm pretty sure. I know I've been there with you guys. Yeah. 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 But I don't think it was the day you made the, photo maybe no maybe not maybe not i know i had to, i know i went i know i've been there twice i know I've skated jo- i don't think joe was with us I that, think was- that makes sense that makes yeah. sense and so um the first times going there i remember back like that, that spot's definitely it's, it's high security you got to really like creep in and like get in quick and get out and yeah and I, I remember that was always the case so it's basically a dry dock that like boats come in and then they empty the water so they can work on the boats underneath. Right. And there's like a cement tranny that goes up pretty good to this spot that has a little lip on it and you can like do shit on it. And, and yeah, so he man got the front line. Cause like right yeah, where those, rugged, right where those transitions rough. are is where the big, huge, like, uh, you know, pipes that let allow the water from the bay to flood it. Are. <laughs> and so like you're skating right under these massive pipes that could at any minute open up and be dumping millions of gallons on your head and just hasta la vista, you know, hasta la vista, baby. And so the whole spot's just real gnarly. Like it's real eerie, but you know, like sick and just powerful kind of. And, uh, and so, yeah, that, I remember that time that I went there with Joe, um, I was really in need of getting a, a photo into Circa for an ad. They were, they, they were like getting to, you know, the last week of, of um, needing to submit a photo to the magazine for an ad. Mm-hmm. And so I hit Joe kind of desperate, like, dude, I really need this photo. I've got the idea of what I want to do. Are you available? Can we go and, and link up and do this shit? You know? And he's like, like, yeah, totally. You know, this is the day come up here to the city and we'll go there. And, um, and I, I love Joe. Like I definitely, I really factor everything into an opportunity, like getting to shoot a photo for an ad that's going to go into print. I'm like, who do I want to shoot this with? Where's, you know, what spot am I going to do? What trick am I going to do? Shit like that. And, uh, and so I remember going there and um, I remember I was hung over that day. I remember kind of sleeping in the van pretty much till we got to the spot, just laying in the back, just like criddled up in a little ball. Yeah. And then kind of getting what like shook away. Hey, we're here, dude. You wanted to come here. We are like, we had to go to home people, I think to grab some stuff just in case get mm-hmm. some Bondo and shit. And, um, we got there and realized dude, Bondo's like, we laughed like Bondo's not going to fix these <laughs> whole, like these fucking craters. They are right. Yeah. We needed five buckets of this stuff. So it's kind of like, well, you brought softies, right? You got, 
Uh, I was thinking, do we need a bungee banshee? I didn't know what we were going to need, but we didn't have most of what we would have needed to, like, <laughs> you know, make the shit easier. So we get down there and um, there, it's not the kind of spot you can really warm up to. You push it at a few times and, and decide whether you can get the speed to do your trick. And then you just got to start trying it. You just got to give it a hundred percent straight out of the gate. You can't like sit there and warm up for too long because it's such high security. Mm. And sure enough, I think I probably got to the point of like getting in and trying the front blunt maybe two times after doing like a frontside disaster on it or something like realizing, damn, I'm going to need to get even more speed to get up into blunt than what I was already pushing my ass off to get a disaster on. And, um, and I remember, uh, like two tries maybe. And all of a sudden, whoop, whoop, we just get rolled on. There's like police cars rolling up on us. They're starting to walk down. We, we beat them to the punch before they even had to come down and like reprimand us. We just packed our shit up and started to walk out kind of towards them. Uh-huh. And right away, they're like, everybody face down on the ground. Like, give us your IDs, fucking you're trespassing, all this crazy stuff. Um, you, got, you guys could go to jail right now. We, we kind of try to talk our way out of it. Like, look, we're not vandalizing anything. We're just trying to shoot this photo. We're not causing any harm. They, they took our IDs, looked us up to see if we had any kind of outstanding warrants, basically ultimately gave us a warning, but we're real dicks about it. Like they weren't being cool about it in any way, shape or form. They were really trying mm. to instill that fear to make sure that like we didn't come back and that we sent the message to other people that like the spots a bust. Um, and so I'm sitting there just super panicked and just like kind of losing my shit. Just thinking, dude, this, this time frame of getting this photo in is winding down. Like I really need to get this ad in to lock down a photographer, another spot, another trick. Like I was just stressed out. And so basically I just made the call, like let's take off for a couple of hours and let it cool down. And then let's just get back in there before anybody can catch us or before they have time to get down there and arrest us. Right. Let's get down there and get this fucking photo. Let's get the trick, dude. Like I'm willing to go to jail. I'll take, I'll take the hit. Like if, if they decide that somebody has got to go to jail, like I'm down. Like if I, if I got to go to jail to get this photo, that's what we got to do right now, but we got to do it. And then, so we drove around for a little while, maybe went back to the home Depot parking lot, ate a hot dog or something. I don't know. <laughs> and then, and then waited till a little later to like it had cooled down a little bit, like till the scene wasn't as hot. And then this time we went down like, like special ops, instead of there being five dudes, we could only go down with three dudes. It was me, Joe and the filmer Noah. Uh-huh. And, you know, we, we scoped the perimeter. We parked in a totally far away, different spot and just full on mission impossible, like ducking out behind walls. Dun, 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 yeah, dun. yeah. Coast is clear. Hit the next little spot. There's a little, there's a little hiding spot right there. We'll go dip across the parking lot to that spot. And then we'll, make sure nobody sees us. And, um, we finally got down there and like, I mean, literally I, I started pushing at the thing and getting myself into it before Joe could set his stuff up before Noah could get ready. It was just like, at least if I do this trick and we get a couple of posed, like, then we got the photo. We know that, that you rode away from the shit, you know? And I can't remember the exacts about like how many more tries it took me to actually do the trick. But I remember mm telling myself, as soon as you get into this, like you're, you're landing it or you're slamming. There's no, there's no bails. You can't bail this right now. You know, everybody's freedom depends on this right now. (laughs) You got to make this happen first try. Uh Like if you can. And, and, um, it was one of those moments where it's like, got to do this shit first go before we get arrested. And, 
Mm. So it happened super quick. I remember like, boom, we got it. We packed our shit up. We snuck out of there just like we came in all Mission Impossible style. And then I'm sure I asked Joe, can you take me to the gas station or the liquor store straight away? Like, let's go get some beers and celebrate. We got this shit. Like, yeah. ah, one of those victorious moments where we got the better of the man, you know? Right. Oh, that was man. an epic one. That was that, an epic one. That's so sick, dude. I remember going to that spot. That spot is hectic for it's sure. Hectic, Cause you're man. trapped. You're down there. There's nowhere to run. Nowhere to Only run. way out is up. Exactly. Yeah. There's yeah. no way you can escape. You can't outrun anybody. You can't escape. Like you're at their mercy. If they decide that like, they're going to bust you. You're busted. Mm. They can surround you on all sides. I think even since then it's become way more locked down. Like I went and looked at it a little while ago and um, now there's actual, there's like cameras and there's fences and they've got like way more, way more uh, they security on. and like in reinforced kind of, kind of like perimeters around it now to where it's harder to even get in there. So. That's what usually happens once, uh, you know, that's why you don't blow the spots out. I mean, yeah, it, it's, it's hard to not want to get a piece of them, but at the same time, like, yeah, yeah. These days it's, with social media and all that too, stuff is so much easier blowing out. It's like, yeah, it's crazy. Back then, back then you had to wait for the video clip or for the photo to drop in the mag before you would see that spot again for months and months and months, you know? Nowadays, it's like if somebody finds that spot, you're going to see it for a week straight on random people's feeds and just it's going to get blown out in a matter of a week versus like a year. Dude, those wooden banks that are in Coyote Point, uh -huh. I saw them building them because I live right down I heard there. That. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. then, dude, I swear to God, I seen somebody skating them. It was like on a Tuesday. And on Saturday, Tori Pudwell was already there, who doesn't live anywhere near that place. Yeah. And I'm just like, are you fucking kidding me? How did this? Like, wow. We're loading up the van in L.A. They're fucking booking flights. Like, oh, dude. Yeah. Hey, do you think that skate rock slam is like the gnarliest slam you've ever taken? Or has there been worse ones? I mean, it's it's definitely up there with some of the worst ones, but there have been worse ones for sure. That one, I mean, there really weren't that many major repercussions from that one. Like, I lived with my hip out of place for maybe a year after that till I, get, I got my, like, back and hip adjusted, but I didn't break anything. I was able to skate in a matter of, of months. Um, you know, maybe a couple months, I was, I was pretty back to normal. Mm. Um, it was a scary one because I'd never experienced that, like, severe of bruising. Like when you're like, sliding on the ground towards the curb in your mind, are you like, Oh, I'm fucked. Or do you not know really what's going on? Like, it happened so fast. It was yeah. one of those spots where I knew that it was going to be so fast riding down that thing that I didn't even bother dropping in on it once. Whoa, slow it down. There's no point in testing the waters when it's that unknown. Like you don't want to get hurt just dropping in on this to find <laughs> out if it's sketchy. You're like, yeah. it looks sketchy enough to where I might get smoked. I better just try it. Like, and then see where those waters take me when I get there, you know? And that, and that, that was, was like day one. two or something of the trip. I was right? Like right out of the gate, dude, right out uh, of the gate on the way to that Athens park. And, and yeah, yeah, there was no, there was no intention of, of trying some shit like that other until you see the spot. And then you're like, Whoa, spot, pull over, pull over, you know? Yeah. I didn't even have my board. I, I was in the other van. I jumped in the, uh, in the Baker dude's van. Cause it would have, I, I was like, Oh, it'd be a fun drive to ride in there with Andrew and with like the Baker team. Uh -huh. and all them to, uh, was it Figgy's board or slashes or something? It was slashes board. Uh -huh. <laughs> and, uh, and I remember just going, fuck it. We don't have time. The other guys are already at the park. 
Mm-hmm. We're here at the spot now. Let me check the boards in the van and see who's might be the most like, you know, similar to yours. Similar. And and I remember Slash just handing me his board, like, dude, take mine, take mine, you know, and just being like, fuck, all right, I guess I'm riding this board right here. And it was sick. It was just one of those spontaneous, like, like, you know, magical <sighs> moments where the spot found me like it found me it called me and um and i remember after jumping into the thing realizing like dude this thing's this thing's buck you know this (laughs) really buck right now but when you got when you got figgy watching when you got burnett shooting photos and like i wasn't i wasn't about to back out of this it wasn't it wasn't like something i could back out of now it was like it was like it's it's now or never it's do or die and honestly, yeah, it was one of the greatest moments of, of my life in skateboarding for sure. Like not the worst slam, but one of the greatest moments, even with the slam, it, it just, uh, it's one of the most alive I've ever felt skating a spot. It was one of the sickest, most memorable sessions having those, you know, people around. Um, I'll tell you this, it was coming off of the biggest p-stone demo i've ever witnessed it was day one it was the first fucking skate rock band p-stone's like hey schmitty if we get past 1 30 a.m look out you're filming tonight i'm taking this night off and enjoying this one i was like fine that motherfucker put on the demo of a lifetime he was doing stage dives he was doing oh bo- human bowling ball across yeah. the floor Are like he just lit it on fire and then i think like that next day we went straight to the the blocks in Atlanta and fucking Andrew and Theotis and those guys were skating there. And then we went to that skate park and then we saw that thing you tried and it's just on. And the thing I, I give you tons of credit for too, is like, you knew you were done. Like you were like, I'm not going to be able to skate on this trip, but you didn't go home. You're like, I want to be a part of this trip. And you've stayed there the entire time. And oh. I always tell this story. Me, you, and Peastone are on the plane flying home, and somehow the Jedi mind trick works where the <laughs> stewardess is just giving us like hundreds, not hundreds, but so many of those bottles, the airplane the little vodka shooters, dude. Yeah. I think what Peston's happened was like, hey, his hips really messed up and he can't get any Vicodin. Can we get another round? At some point, at some point, I whipped out my ass cheek for her in the back of the plane. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, you've been super sweet. You've been really like, accommodating things for flowing us extra drinks, giving us doubles and all this and that, but it's really bad. Like I really, yeah. I should show you, I really need to show you how bad it is. You know, right. We went into the little back, like, like a flight attendant zone. Uh-huh. And I kind of like pulled my ass cheek out and just showed her how bruised my whole leg and ass cheek was. Oh, that was the worst thing I'd ever seen in my whole life. And I remember her walking back with her <laughs> shirt full of shooters. The next yeah. time she passed the aisle, it wasn't like, where they slip you a couple? She's like, here, here's yeah. a couple. She had her shirt up like this, <laughs> and she had a whole pile of shooters in her shirt, and she just dumped them out onto our laps. So we were like, fuck away. That is forever. I got photos of like you impressed her, like, you know, two or three at each hand. Like, ah, that was oh my so God. That was amazing. That was such a fun flight home. But no, oh, I mean, that whole trip, dude, from start to finish was just so amazing. Definitely one of those top trips of a lifetime um, from the moment yeah. we arrived and Jake almost fighting some dude off the plane. I remember <laughs> I, ran in, yeah. I ran into this, uh, this childhood uh, friend of mine. He used to, we used to play soccer together and stuff and he became a pro golfer and he was on his way to 
uh, golf tournament in Athens and him and his caddy were on that same flight as we had out to Atlanta. Oh shit. <laughs> and I remember him seeing me walking down the aisle and like, Hey man, what's up dude? Like, what? what's up mate? But then that flight got rowdy out there and he's sitting there with this caddy, like, Holy shit. You, know how you guys roll dude. <laughs> and then we get off the plane and everybody's walking to baggage. And like, I remember rolling on my board kind of bypassing the line of passengers to get to the baggage just because like I had my skate. So I was rolling through the airport, you know? Oh yeah. And one of the passengers, this bitter old man, he starts jawing off to me about like, why don't you walk like the rest of us? What gives you the right kind of thing? You know? Uh huh. I remember just looking back at him like, fuck you, whatever, dude. And, and I, before I could even like get into it with him, I just hear Phelps, you want to die, fool? <laughs> what a fucking... And then next thing you know, there's a scene and the guy's wife is pulling him back. No, honey, don't. No, don't it's not worth it. It's not worth it. There's five people just. Pat Lana yeah, will knock you out. <laughs> lighten the dude up. Just like, we haven't even got to baggage. Just where you want your trip to end, old man. Like. Oh, I remember my just in, in my buddy, him and his, him and his caddy, my golfer friend, you know, just such a different polar opposite world, like watching all this and this, their eyes are just like, Whoa, <laughs> I had no idea. I mean, that was the same trip that we went to that karaoke bar and lit fireworks off. Like, Oh my God. Oh no. And then we get to the hotel, we get to the hotel <laughs> that night and, and Baca, uh, I think Baca was a little bit like he had a different flight. Right. And so we're yeah. all just barely checking into our rooms, dude, barely checking into our rooms at this hotel. And, and Baca comes down the hallway and I'm like, oh, yeah, him and Peastone were wrestling. Yeah. Tackles Peastone. Yeah. And then Jake hears the commotion and he comes out and he wants a piece. So Jake <laughs> stands there like in sumo stance and Baca comes and fucking charges him in his room, tackles him right into the corner of the wall. Boom. Like 10 minutes into the trip, he's heading to the hospital to get 10 staples in his head. Is that, is that real? Yeah, big props to Mark Waters. That guy fucking took care of us like a oh champion God, on that trip. And I mean, uh, we've lost so many people, but Mark was like such a rad dude that like he was like our babysitter. He was like the roadie. He was like our food and spot finder. Like he was so solid and he just came right in and he knew what to do. He grabbed Jake, took him to the hospital. I remember because Preston and I went to the Giants game the night before that we flew out there and we got those panda hats and Jake had the white panda hat on and it was just covered in blood. It was just yep. like skate rock. Everything was pandemonium. It's pure pandemonium. pandemonium. Yeah, totally. And just um, that, whole, that whole moment in time, I just felt so fortunate to have been able to witness and to like, be surrounded by the people that I was in that moment in time. I mean, it was a, it was a solid dude, magical moment in, in skateboard time, dude. Like it just really was. And the people that were running the ship and just all that <laughs> shit was so gold. It was just so gold. Yeah. That's when I really, I gained so much respect for Spanky because he was in our van in the back the whole time with the boards and shit. And he never said a word, never complained. He was always in on the jokes and just in the conversation and drawing rad little postcards and making rad cool things and just contributing how you'd want to do to contribute to a yeah. sick time. Absolutely, man. Yeah. And just seeing the way that they ran their whole program too. Like I had always been a fan of like Baker from the time it was Baker bootleg. Like I thought Baker bootleg before the two brands kind of parted ways and shit was, was sick, but after jumping in that Baker van, getting to meet like Reynolds and getting to just see that whole dynamic, like uh, 
dude, that was such another epic experience and skateboarding for me that only made me that much more of a fan of their whole program. Their whole camp was just so legendary to me after that, you know? Yeah. No, real and just like raw and just fucked. So, so skateboarding just, uh, so sick, dude. Yeah. You got Trujillo and Grant and nameless others tearing up the tranny and stuff. You got Figgy and Andrew and Herman and Spanky. Like you're just like, does it get better than this? And then at night you're just partying at the bar out to the end. Jake's famous quotes were always, you know what the best thing about your town is? We're leaving it. <laughs> <laughs> the fireworks in that one bar in North Carolina. And shit. Oh man, dude. Yeah, that was, I can't imagine. I, I was the only skate rock I've ever been on, but like, <sighs> I mean, that was definitely life changing. That, that, like it's they always set a bar that was like how you know it's like wallenberg like it was scary going to wallenberg because you're like there's been a lot done how are we gonna like is this gonna work and then sure enough it would and i think skate rock was a lot like that it was like that last trip was like hands down the best trip we've ever been on and then the next one would be like i don't know this one's just as good or better like you know (laughs) what i mean so it's like Kind of like that as far as setting the bars and stuff. But I mean, Jake had the best ability to just get the right people. I mean, you got those dudes in the van. You could go anywhere and they're going to fucking bring you home. I mean, Preston just has to hit record and like, don't don't hit stop ever. Like basically, you know, like Rainy and uh, Trujillo and I forget who it was, but there's this footage Preston has. I feel like it was in Australia or something. They're skating this park and it's like five dudes in a row just going in a circle oh, doing yeah. everything. Yep, yep, yep. And you just see Preston. <laughs> I got it. No problem, guys. Keep it going. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, dude, I know it's probably a hard one, but like, is there any P-Stone stories in particular you want to share or something that sticks out? Like as far as just like, I know you guys were super close and have had so many memories, but uh it'd be interesting to hear like what one that kind of like maybe is a little more in your memory than others. Oh man, there are, there's just, there's so many, there's so many. Um, I mean, from the moment I met that guy till the last conversation we had, they are all just so memorable and so special and meaningful. And, and, um, you know, there's certain people that you're able to, uh, to attribute like a lot of the, the opportunities and things that you've had in life, um, because they've really helped you or because they really like, been there for you and done shit. Preston was definitely one of those people that like, I can safely say I wouldn't be where I'm at without that guy. And, and, mm. um, will forever just be grateful to have, have, you know, had the opportunity to get to know him and to become his friend and to just like, to love one another. And, and, uh, I, I was definitely before leading into this was just met so many memories were flooding my, my mind. Um, but I definitely think that one, like one of the funny ones, just since having a kid, and this was definitely on that whole dad note, yeah. Is that um, around the time Oscar was two and Anna had just, I think she had just become pregnant with Felix. And and I was there the night that I think that, that they divulged the news that they actually like broke the news. I was staying over at their house. Oh shit. And, um, and we were, we were supposed to be leaving for Australia the next morning. And so we had to be real quiet because it was kind of getting late at night. We were all sitting up in the living room and it was time to go to bed. And we had a real early flight. So him and I were planning on pretty much pulling an all-nighter, just like hanging out in the backyard until it was time to catch our flight. We had to skate to uh we had to skate to the bar at like five in the morning with our bags. Uh-huh. And we were probably up until about two. So we were like, yeah, we'll just you can catch some hours if you want, or we can just stay up in the backyard and you know, make a little a uh, little fire in my Weber and like 
drink beers till we got to go to the airport. And, and I remember us walking through uh, Oscar's room because like the kitchen and the little bathroom kind of you had to walk through the bathroom through Oscar. Yeah. Room. And I remember uh, Oscar had taken a he had taken a shit, but like he didn't flush. He was still so little that like every once in a while when he would use the big boy toilet, like he would forget to flush. Oh, man. And I remember Peace Stone calling me in there. Hey, e, come check this out. <laughs> I'm like, what is it? Why are, you, why are you calling me into this dark ass bathroom at two in the morning right now? What are you trying to show me? And he lifts the toilet and gets his phone and he just flashes it down in the toilet. And there's just this massive terror did. And he's like, every once in a while, little man forgets to flush, but you know, he's been taking some man-sized turds. Check this one out, you know? And I'm just sitting there like, what am I watching right now? This is so far from when I had my own kid to realizing the pride involved and what it was that he was actually showing me. Yeah. Like, you go from wiping these little dirty, dark smudges of turds to like watching their turds form into these like full adult size craps. And, and it's almost this like pride in you watching your kid develop, even in their bowel movements, you're like, mm. they're taking real turds now. They're not taking these little smears, you know? And so cool. I remember thinking about that literally the first time that my son used his own little like training potty. And came and called me like, dad, I did it. I did it. Come look, come look. And there's just this massive turd hanging off the side of it. Like yeah, man sized log. And, and I remember it almost brought tears to my eyes. I'm pretty sure I took photos of it and it all stemmed back to that whole like experience with Preston and seeing the pride that he had in every aspect of Oscar's life all the way up into like having to show me this turd that got left in the toilet. Yeah. And forevermore, man, that one's always resonated just on the fatherhood tip. Cause he was always just such a, a proud and like loving dad. And and one of the last combos I had with him was FaceTiming when, when my son was born was when, when Cairo was born and, and Preston was so stoked to get to see and meet him, even though it was FaceTime, he was somewhere, you know, off on a trip, but like made the time in the trip to FaceTime me so that he could meet my newborn son. And just like, he loved the FaceTime. He was like, in my world, the innovator of a guy that pushed me to, cause I like this zoom stuff that I'm doing now was forced yeah. on me by the lockdown. Like I'd much rather do it in person with you, Same. but Same. I got comfortable with this. But before this was FaceTime and Preston was one of the few guys that if you FaceTime me, I'm picking that thing up. Most Same. people FaceTime you and you're like, dude, I don't face what, but Preston made it fun and cool. And I mean, you could go on forever with compliments about the dude, but one thing for sure is motivator great dad great friend and so much passion for everything whether it be skateboarding eating partying life yeah. in general oh my God. he 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 was such a great person to have as an influence in our lives absolutely. and i know you yeah, and i absolutely. share the same exact feelings for the guy oh, yeah. um one of the things that sticks out as you were telling me that story is there was this time where he was kind of a little, you know, had maybe a, a drink or two too many at, at the uh, 24th Street in San Francisco and and got into it with one of the guys that was working. And he, he walked out and he's like, you're never going to talk to my son. You are never allowed to talk to my son. <laughs> yeah, dog. God, I miss him. And such a legend, I, such a legend. And just, yeah, he brought so much to so many people's lives. It's crazy because... Sometimes I don't think you realize how much somebody has influenced so many people until they're gone. And all these people start to share stories and start to express like right. what this person meant to them. But 
to me, Preston was always that character. To me, Preston was somebody that I knew had altered and changed my life for the better just by Same. being him, just by being his genuine, caring, um, just epic self that like, that I knew that I was in the presence of greatness, just the same, right. That like, you only come across certain people like that maybe once in a lifetime, if you're lucky. Yeah. Um, and, and just the fact that I got that introduction at, at such a young age and got to maintain that friendship for so many years, like it's something I'll always, always be grateful for. And I'll never, I'll never forget. Like I've, I've never gotten any kind of like memorial tattoos or anything that even slightly resembles, you know, keeping somebody that I've lost that like physically close to me via tattoo. But, but, um, when Peace Stone passed, you know, I swore I was going to get this PMA tat just to always remember, like, yep. not just what he did in, in his physical form, but also like what he'll bring to my life forevermore and to always reflect on the way that he lived his life to help better mine in, in, you know, all sorts of different moments and situations in life. Cause like, he was there for you when you were at your worst. He was there for you when you were at your best. Like he was just one of those people that was just such a gift, you know? So. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I want to share this thing with you. I don't know if you listened to, I, I, I'd wrote this a long time ago when, when he passed and I said it one time on a, I think it was big Hungry's uh, interview, but uh, I was digging through this stuff and I think you could appreciate it. So bear with me. I'm going to just read this poem I wrote. Let's attribute to him. It goes from Jersey to Philly and the NYC all the way to the Bay and down to SD across the pond to Sweden. He's huge in Japan. They built him a bike with a keg in Copenhagen nicknames a plenty and the revs are always high. The big dog Peastone always known as our guy mountain man breakfast or a beer can chicken. And there's not many countries. He hasn't filmed a trick in you ever had chili three times in a day or filmed around the world for your series Brewery. No matter the hour, he's always got your back. You ever slid down a fire pole in the house of Andy Mack, three shades of Sherbert Canary islands almost took his leg, a true beer slave legend you ever land a blunt for a keg miles galore and good times he'd bring oldest brew in the States. Come on, Tom, it's Yingling <laughs> lower Bob's builder with the, our life crew master of the grill, never afraid to cue father of two. Everyone's best bro. He left us too early. Hell of a way to go. Nicknames are plenty and the revs are always high. The big dog Peastone also known as our guy love and respect always. And I miss you, Preston. Well, yeah, dude. So in so, a couple of years, I so felt good. like I'd let that out there, dude. I, I, I oh. was going to say earlier. Um, I think this is like 140 episodes I've done and you're a tight homie and you live in my neck of the woods and with the lockdown and all that stuff, we never got to get together and do one of these, but you've always been in my mind. And so today's a huge day for me. I'm, I'm in some ways, you know, I always look at things. You want to know what sucks. I'm trying hard not to be that guy, but that's ingrained in me for some reason, but I wish that we could have done it in person, but I'm really appreciative that we just did it. And I know we'll see each other in person eventually. Oh yeah, we will. Um, I know I, I was holding off uh, 
for too long because I was adamant about having to see your face in person to do this. Yeah. Yeah. It's always a different dynamic through the, uh, through the video monitor and stuff. But I think, you know, through this whole experience, we've just got more experience and now the monitor thing's not as awkward. So I think it's working all right. Um, What's up nowadays? What shoes are you wearing? What are you working on? Like you're getting back from an injury. You're going to, you're like getting your skate feet going. Like what's going down? There's been a lot, man. Like, so, so right before the pandemic, I was starting to kind of gain this real like business savvy kind of, kind of, uh, you know, I I don't know if you'd call it like, like sense or just motivation, but I, I just decided that, you know what, like after having a kid, it was real motivating on many platforms. It was, it was motivating for me creatively. It was motivating for me, like, like productively. Um, and it was just sort of a big eye opener as to like, like I said, the priorities in my life are, are building a life for my kid now and for, for being um, present, but also like creating opportunities for him in his life, which at this age, you know, he can't do on his own. So it's up to mom and I to really like buckle down and to make shit happen. And so, I started to, uh, after, after, well, I guess it was during while I was filming for my last video part, um, decided to go back to school, take a business class. So I went back to this local junior college and took this intensive business class and, uh, and really like enjoyed every bit of it, even though it it was hard and I hadn't been to school in almost 13 years and I was never the greatest student to begin, but it really like, it showed me how much I've grown up and how much more um, responsible and professional I had become because like I was taking it serious. I was enjoying it. I was thriving. I was doing really well in it. My, my teacher was very impressed at my business savvy, just based on my lifetime in skateboarding and the stuff I had gained knowledge wise, like through all those experiences of Mm. navigating this like so-called career, right. And, and dealing with brands and, and my own branding and like marketing and sales and all that shit that I never realized were teaching me a lot about business and industry, but they were the whole time. And and once I got to actually like see what my knowledge brought to the table or what I could apply in this class, I learned that I had a really good business sense about me. And, and, uh, and then the pandemic happened. And like you were saying, it was weird, but a lot of it went online, which was, it was a little harder for me to navigate. I'm more of that in-person type type of learner. I need mm. to be face to face to really absorb what it is I'm being taught or told. And So it was tricky, but at the same time, um, I was really driven and motivated to, uh, to try and do something big that, that not only gave back to skateboarding, but also involved working within skateboarding, something that I could continue to, to do within the industry and and the activity that I love, but also like that was going to give back. That was more on that, like, you know, philanthropic level of like doing for the community that supported me through all this shit, like the people that have supported my skateboarding all these years, you know, give back by, by offering some sort of service or something to their kids or to the community. So, um, you know, I've gone and done a lot of like public speaking at local high schools, uh, during career days. I've, I've been going, I I was going up to juvenile hall right before the pandemic and doing these one-on-one sessions with some of the kids that are, that are incarcerated up at juvie and just sort of like vans donated a bunch of gear. Um, Santa Cruz NHS donated a bunch of skateboards. Uh, this other, the guy who I was doing it with, um, Nick Hart, he had this program called flow and he was the one that approached me about it saying, Hey, I would love for you to come up there. You just got to get through all the like security clearance. And then you could be like one of the official, you know, 
guests, you know, that come through there and work with the kids. So I did that for a while. It was like the first Monday of the month for, for about six months I was going up there and more and more kids started to sign up. It went from there being like four kids signed up to there being like eight kids. And we would spend a half hour with each kid. Each kid, each kid would get a, get a designated time out in the courtyard with you to, to skate or ride a BMX bike, whatever they wanted. Oh, and then, so they didn't have to like fuck up their shoes. We would provide them with vans and, and then Santa Cruz would give all these completes and pads and helmets if they wanted. Um, huh. We just brought these little prefab ramps and flat bars and stuff, but some of the kids had grown up skateboarding. So even though they had been incarcerated from the time they were like 13 and now they're 17, um, they still could like kind of remember how to do a kickflip or a 180 or some of them were actually like good. I remember one of the kids after about three sessions, getting back 360 flips and, no and it was real encouraging. It was sick to work with them. And then they, they know shit in there. They're not, they're not like, like, you know, they know what's happening out in the streets, even though that they're, they're locked in this place. Like, uh-huh. we've got cousins or brothers or relatives on the outside that still follow certain people and tell them about that. So like a lot of these kids knew my story. They knew my background. They knew that if they wanted to talk to me about, you know, real life shit that they could, or if they wanted to just head down and work on a, a kickflip, like I would be there for that too. Uh-huh. And it felt really good. It felt like that's amazing. Finally, finally skateboarding had given me this like platform to like help right. others and, and, do something that might make a difference in my own community. And so I started to think of, well, how could I do this on a larger scale? And um, I started to think really big and dream real big. Like maybe one day I could start like a private skateboard high school. Um, that's kind of more geared around like that school in Malmo, Sweden, Brigaretz gymnasium. Yep. That would be more structured like that to where, yes, if kids want to learn to work on their skill development, like I'd be there for that. But ultimately I'd be there to teach the kids and help the kids that, you know what, you're not going to be a pro. You, you don't have that, like that same drive on a board. You don't have that same like marketability, whatever, but you like to work with concrete. You like to build shit. Boom. We got a concrete, we got a, a, a construction class. that's going to teach you how to build skate parks or mm. you, you think that like, you know, maybe vid- like videographic arts or, or, or photography is more your calling. Like, boom, we got a photography or, or videography program or wow, you want to do graphic design. Like there's a whole giant demand for graphic artists within skateboarding. You can still work in the industry you love mm-hmm. without having to be the guy yeah. on the cover of the magazine and still like make a living, do something that's, that's meaningful to you. And also, uh, you know, that, that like you can live out your dream in this sense and you can't let people tell you that you can't just cause you can't fucking kickflip that 20 stair. You can still live your dream in skateboarding, you know, mm-hmm. but I don't feel like enough kids, guys and girls really are encouraged that like there's this whole world of opportunity within skateboarding for you. That's outside of like becoming the pro skateboarder, so to speak, you know? Right. And so I started to work with the Santa Cruz city schools and developed the whole like one of a kind uh, curricular program um, for high school students. And it was like this close to launching. We literally, I had a, I had a committee of about 20 people ranging from, uh, you know, Mark Whiteley was going to be one of the, the guest uh, photography instructors to, um, my friend, Aaron fit that works in research and development at NHS. We were going to get to take field trips at NHS to see how all the production happens to go through the art mm. department, see how all that like, yeah. Plays out. And just present that kind of shit, present those ideas to the, the 
kids are going to be graduating high school and like left to their devices or uh-huh. trying to navigate life within skateboarding, hanging out with all their like deadbeat friends. Yeah. Um, and so it was real close to launching and then the pandemic happened and we kind of lost our opportunity at funding and um, I had to reconfigure my idea. And so it's unfortunately kind of been put on the back burners, but that's literally like where I was at uh, right up until the pandemic was like about to launch this whole one of a kind sort of like uh, local high school skate program. And it was going to be free. It was going to be free to, to high school students, you know? And so um, I haven't given up on that idea, but I've had to since start, you know, bringing in an income. Otherwise I was just going to be, I was going to be paid like a normal teacher salary to run this program. Uh-huh. which wasn't much, but it was still, it was like, it was a way to get my foot in experience wise. And then also see if this was like, maybe going to be a, a long-term calling for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the shit went, you know, South from there, but I, uh, I've been doing some tile work. I've been doing other random kind of, you know, subcontracting jobs for people. Like I'm no dummy. I can, I can learn different trades pretty quickly. I have two eighth grade diplomas. Yeah. Just to bring in extra money. That's kind of what I've been relying on outside of just skateboarding. Cause having a kid in Santa Cruz ain't cheap. And, uh, yeah. and so, yeah, my wife and I both work and, uh, you know, it, it's, it's been a, a hustle. It's been a big hustle like the last year and a half, but how old's your kid? Uh, he's four, four. Yeah. So does that mean kindergarten? Next year. Next year. Big, big, big ones are coming. Yeah. Big time. Exactly. Talk about man size deuces. Dude, (laughs) telling you, they ain't getting any smaller. I know that much. That's for damn sure. Well, dude, I love the positivity. I I mean, a lot of dudes are I would talk to Brandon Turner and he's doing some really rad stuff with like sobriety and like all these kids and kind of a similar thing where he goes and talks to like uh, the kids and gets them hyped on skating and just positive things instead of like resorting into like whatever gangs or graffiti or just partying too much and just things that can lead down a, a path that like, you're like, dude, I, I got no regrets. I'm not embarrassed of my past, but I learned a lot of shit and I'm here to kind of help you so that you can dabble instead of just go full in and blow it, you know, like what I, I can't be a hypocrite, but I can be a, a teacher maybe, or like a mentor or something to help you. Yeah, everything's shot. Testing one, two, three. Kids, we have lost E-Man. I think my positivity speech just like disconnected the wires. <laughs> While we're waiting, I'd just like to announce that I got these new stickers from Todd Bratchard that we just got in today, kids. Go to TalkingSchmidt.com. Purchase yours today. And now, another first impression with Sonoma Originals. Jordan. Taba Yoyan. So my whole introduction to E-Man, it was like summer of 1999. Uh, in Santa Barbara, actually. I became really good friends with this guy, Andy Mensloff, who was from Santa Cruz. Um, used to work at Bill's Wheels, and um, that's basically how I got introduced to that whole Santa Cruz fucking posse up there. All the boys, you know, and, and I'll never forget, they came down one weekend, and and this kid came with them. This little Emmanuel Guzman, you know, he was 13, 14 at the time, uh, just wearing some big old Dickies chino pants, you know, and drinking a 40. 
And uh, Andy walked up to me and he was like, man, this is going to be the next pro for Santa Cruz. Um, and I trip out because, you know, Andy was fucking right, man. Years later, I ended up moving to Santa Cruz and, and get a chance to run my own skate shop there over on the east side, Pleasure Point, uh, which is E-Man's turf. E-Man and I became close, uh, closer throughout those years. And, and then I got a chance to, you know, be, become the Santa Cruz team TM and uh, by then Eamon and I were already fucking homies and so when I got that job it was just like game on next thing you know I was like Eamon was the the fucking captain of the ship you know like what he brought to the table was just so insane and I got that real fucking chance to see Eamon and and who he really was and how he fucking operates and um, I still trip out to this day man like the dude is the gnarliest fucking skater I've ever fucking met seen uh, just everything he brings to the table is just beyond next level. Um, and he's the real fucking deal, man. It's, it's just, he's a real fucking skateboarder. And I'm just so fucking thankful that, it, you know, it's just a huge piece of, of, of my life, my skate life. And, and E-Man uh, has, has been there for that. So, you know, I have a skate shop now in, in Sonoma, up in the wine country. And uh, I'm just so thankful that I still get to see E-Man all the time. He comes up here and visits. Uh, and, and just still brings that fucking, that fucking vibe up here, man. And uh, I'm just so thankful for everything he's done for skateboarding, man. Just so thankful. E-Man, you're the best. Boys and girls, children of all ages. We're winding down. The mic is off. The mic's not on, but the mic is off. All right, I'm back, I'm back. Did you hear? Did you hear my long rant, or did it cut out? It, it was it was just cutting off when you were talking about uh, Brandon Turner and kind of what he's been doing and just like being vulnerable about his past and kind of open about that shit. Who goes to Wallenberg before ten? Yeah, I used to drink a lot, and I don't say God, I wish I didn't because I like I appreciate all those times, but like I I always use the one like. Man, when I took mushrooms, why didn't they tell me I could have just taken a little mushroom <laughs> instead of a whole eighth? <laughs> like, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, I'd have to traumatize myself all those times. Yeah. I mean, Creature Lee, I was tripping on how many times he's taken acid. And he was talking about that. And I was like, dude, I'm so scared of acid. <laughs> like, if I'm I one age, and done. I'm one and done. Yeah, same. I'm, I'm like, dude, up. that is not something my brain can handle right now. Nah, definitely not. But no, that's cool. Like um, me and my wife have been talking about the same type of stuff. Like we've been she heads a nonprofit organization for science. And it really inspired me to think about like, what about a nonprofit for skateboarding? Like, what about helping the Alan Losey's of the world, helping like the drug dependent people that we love, but we can't figure, you know, like what about all these people that have given their whole life they dropped out of school. They skated their whole life. So they don't have any, a lot of things to fall back on. And now their things are over. Like it really yeah. spoke to me that like, dude, it'd be so sick to give back to these people that inspired me so much. And I mean, it's always been a dream of mine because like growing up in Santa Cruz, I, I lost a lot of my peers uh, to, to drug abuse, like, right. Or, or, you know, suicide or whatever. Like I, I, uh, I firsthand know, um, how hard it can be like on a community, but also like on myself to have been one of those people that was able to, to climb out of that shit and not follow suit. It was also a very lonely path. It was a very difficult and lonely existence in those, in those first years of realizing that I'm going to lose my friends, whether it's by choice or by default. 
and mm-hmm. like, and, and what kind of message does that send to me when, when there's, when there's very little community to support that one person that's really fighting to better their lives. Um, it's hard to not want to just give up and just say, fuck it. I get why they chose that path. I'm going to just do the same. Cause mm-hmm. no, I had to consciously walk away from a lot of friendships at, at those like, you know, seventh, eighth grade freshman years in high school. My friends were already dabbling with Coke. They were already drinking heavily. Like, mm. It wasn't shortly thereafter that I was losing some of them. Some of them were overdosing. Some of them were so far gone in their addiction that like it would be 10 years till I next saw them. And then another couple after that, till they were dead or, you know, uh, it, it became very apparent to me that I was like surrounded by this whole, like, like generational epidemic of, of, uh, of problems, you know, whether it was, whether it was like, like I said, drug related, depression related, like, yeah. People were dropping like flies around me growing up here in Santa Cruz and, and they still are for a lot of the younger generations, their friends are going through the same shit. Right. So yeah, it's, um, it's, it's not gotten any there. better. It's not gotten any better. <laughs> I mean, these it's gnarly out there. Like Jake used to say, it ain't no country club. It's like, dude, there's a lot of depressed people, you know, and we're all fighting the depression of like the, the uncertainty and the, the divisiveness and everything that's going on. But, uh, yeah, I mean, as skateboarders, we're kind of drawn to pain. So it's like sometimes that can, you know, and as an obsessive compulsive person, sometimes, you know, it's like I always say, like, if I got a pint of ice cream in the freezer, I will eat the pint. Trading in pints for pints. Fuck, dude, I could talk to you forever. I know you got an interview coming up. Um, have you put any thought into uh how we want to end this. Like if you walk into the bar, you see the jukebox, what's the song you're going to fucking go straight to. I mean, hell yeah, dude. I've listened to your, I've listened to your podcast before. I know how this goes. Uh huh. And I could, I actually, I woke up this morning and I was listening to music first thing this morning, trying not to listen too loud to wake my kid up. But, uh, I mean, I think it's just fitting based on the, how we started the show talking about like suicidal Dogtown shit that oh. I knew it would have to be some sort of suicidal. And I'm not sure how many people I've got a lot of episodes. I haven't been able to listen to them all, but, not sure how many people's outro have been to suicidal, but I don't know. I don't think any, maybe, I mean, just because I've got the lower back tat tramp stamp that's ground away from skateboarding from the time <laughs> I was 15, I got this tattoo, but I got a big old possessed to skate tat wrapped around my lower back. And, um, Sick. like I said, got it when I was 15, I've had it done three times and I've scraped it away every time. No way. And so we got a we got an outro on possessed to skate suicidal. I like it. Yeah. I got to see, uh, suicidal a few times and I've already admitted to bootlegging enough of their shit over the years. I tried to one time look through the Los Angeles phone book directory for every Mike Muir I could. Uh. I called them all asking if I could use a suicidal song. Oh, this is the guy we're looking for. The closest I got was I got a Mike Muir. Excuse me, is this Mike? I would get, you know, is this Mike Muir suicidal? No, wrong number. No, wrong number. Blah, blah, blah. Finally, is this Mike Muir suicidal? I just got a click. I remember thinking. No way. Was that the fucking one? <laughs> <laughs> Damn, you gotta you gotta know somebody that probably knows not to... back then, not back then. Oh, right. Okay. Well, fuck yeah, dude. Um, hit me up anytime if you're cruising up this way, especially. And uh hopefully I'll be coming down your way sooner than later. We got the cabin in Boulder Creek, so I'm not too far away. Oh yeah. We, we I will to... be coming up there soon enough. Now that I'm back skating again, there's more of like yeah you know, a definitive reason for me to make some trips up to the city. All right. Well, say hi to the family and thank you so much for tuning in, dude. Big love. Big love, brother. Thank you. All right. Take care. Have a good one. You too, Doug. All right. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Thank you for listening to another episode of Talking Schmidt. You can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Anchor, Spotify, or anywhere you get your podcasts. When you subscribe, you'll get notifications every Tuesday of new episodes the minute they become available. Also, please leave reviews and a five-star rating. It's the best way to help the show grow. All of the episodes will always remain free, but if you would like to help support the show, you can do so at TalkingSchmidt.com, where you can pick up some merchandise like t-shirts, beanies, hats, and stickers. The website has an entire archive of all of the episodes, with extra photos and videos. Email us with any suggestions, comments, or ways that the show may have improved your life at TalkingSchmidt at gmail.com. All interviews are conducted, edited, and produced by Schmitty. The intro music is Mary's Cross by the band Nature. A very special shout-out goes to the executive director, Cheryl Camisa. This is Talking Schmidt, where the Rolodex is deep, but the conversation is deeper.